Hey everyone, it's Tom Panneries, host of Pop Culture Affidavit. A little bit of warning about this episode. It involves a discussion about sexual assault and the exploitation of minors. Feel free to listen at your discretion. And if you have opinions about anything that's discussed, please comment on the episode or send me an email at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening, and now on with the show. Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 121, Titans Twofer, part one, The Judas Contract. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and this episode is the first of two episodes you're going to be getting in May, as I'm going to take a look at two storylines involving the new Teen Titans. The first, which is this episode, is going to focus on the landmark 1984 storyline, The Judas Contract. The second one will be about the uncanny X-Men New Teen Titans crossover from 1982. I'm doing them in this order because, well, I happened to record them this way and I decided I wanted to release them this way. So really, I have no other reason than that. Anyway, before I get to my discussion in this episode, though, I want to thank everyone who listened to the Wasted Time episode, uh, episode 120, and that includes a number of my classmates from high school. Um, I'll follow up with some feedback on a later episode because this one's already quite long, but it was great to hear from so many people and great to hear that they got a real kick out of the episode. So on to this one. Uh, This is kind of well-worn territory for many of us, including myself. Uh, The Judas Contract, which was published by DC Comics in the pages of the New Teen Titans and Tales of the Teen Titans back in 1984. And it's one of the most famous stories of that title and of the company's early 1980s output. But recently, some pages in the truly stellar book, uh, The Other History of the DC Universe, brought to light another interpretation of the events, especially the relationship as it was between Slade Wilson, otherwise known as Deathstroke, the Terminator, and Tara Markov, a.k.a. Tara. And the person I wanted to bring along for this discussion is friend of the show, Donovan Morgan Grant. So he and I are going to talk about the story as well as its mention in the other history right after this. Stick around. What is that? <laughs> Does skin color really have any bearing on who you are as a person? I'm so upset that we don't want to see cops killing unarmed people in the streets of America. Like, why? The BET Awards were last night. Notably, they were very black. Oh, but can I say that? There's a difference between having a point of view and being a part of Are we trying to kill them or scare them? Killing is scary. Names? No number? Just straight pleasure. No, I don't condone it, but I understand that. Every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. Because it's early on when you make the big mistakes that cost you millions down the road. One of the things that we all have in common is that we all draw a line somewhere. <clears throat> Questions we don't have answers. It's a podcast dedicated to tackling society's most quizzical queries and persistent problems. 
Each episode sees host Donovan Morgan Grant. So you're having a non-minority represent a minority and tell the story of a minority, but not with an actual minority. And Harrison Chu. Essentially how you can have your cake and eat it too, but I really wish you wouldn't. As they confront questions that afflict our everyday existence, such as, can war end? I don't know. Is there a morality to sexual fantasies? I don't know. When is killing justified? I don't know. Are there things comedians shouldn't joke about? Can you be outraged on other people's behalf? I don't know. Nobody knows everything, but everyone knows something. Society's ills will be fought by that society. Become a creative contributor to the show by sending in a question or providing your voice and opinion on an existing episode. People are just so afraid of being thought of as assholes when everybody already thinks of them as assholes. It's amazing. That sounds like a Facebook quote. (laughs) (laughs) Questions will be asked and answers will be questioned. So join Donovan and Harry as they invite you each week for a discussion of questions we don't have answers we didn't even talk about japan in this one i think we did well <laughs> the show can be found at questionsnoanswers.com on itunes and right into the show at qnoanswers at gmail.com i just hope it's not boring to listen to you're like oh my god they're not going anywhere truly they don't have answers <laughs> <laughs> well i got also mention more star trek episodes <laughs> Okay, so like I said at the top of the show, I'm going to be talking about the Judas Contract, easily the most famous New Teen Titans story uh, out of the Wolfman Perez, and really out of any era of the New Teen Titans. Um, And I'm not alone this time. Uh, With me is someone who I have actually had on the show before. We talked about Robotech a few years ago, and who is um, one of the uh, other people who regularly betrays Stella on a on a constant basis. Um, please welcome back to the show, Donovan Morgan Grant. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, thank, you, thank you for having me on, especially for this topic. Yeah, yeah, this was... Um, we... Uh, w- we were uh, we were going back and forth about like you know uh, this and the other history of the DC universe which came out um, as of this recording a few weeks ago and I had mentioned you were like I really want to talk about this and I had messaged you I remember I messaged you and I said I'm I'm in the middle of a read through um, I had started with the Silver Age and I'm the Bronze Age and I had been in right in the um, and I'm cru- I was cruising through the Wolfman Paris stuff because God I have read this so many times um, so I and I told you when I got to the end of you know this we would we would talk so here we are i've been really looking forward to this um so i'm gonna i'm gonna end up going through um i'm gonna do this like a required reading episode actually i'm gonna we're gonna talk about our personal history with the uh, titans um i'm gonna get a, a little bit of background as to how this story comes about and i'm gonna give a quick plot synopsis and then we're going to get into our discussion. So, Don, um, how did you – you're younger than I am, and I'm not saying that to be mean or anything. It's just that you came into comics at a later later um, era than I did. Um, how did you discover, a, a, the Teen Titans, and, B, the Judas Contract in the comic form specifically? Well, this is one of those things I can I can recall uh, almost with total recall because um, I've you know, read comics all my life, Batman, Spider-Man. But the Teen Titans, you know, I've been aware of them, but – you know, by the time I get into the comics in the 90s, like, you know, Robin, is it really with the Teen Titans? You know, the team superhero group I'm familiar mm-hmm. with is Young Justice. And this is a little bit before 
both the Teen Titans cartoon and the Jeff Johns Teen Titans series, where I've started to become familiar with them. Um, uh, there's two there's two sides to this. On the one hand, I found Titans Tower by Bill Walco. I just I think I, I found it off of the DC boards, and it was such a clean website that I really enjoyed. Um, uh, the the library of information they had on the various uh, characters, like the various eras, uh, especially when I read about you know the de- delineation between the different eras of Dick Grayson and such. But in regards to this this story, I through the internet I learned that the Judas Contract was a was a big Titan story, and when I started working, my first job was at Kroger. And with my very first paycheck, I went out to my comic store and bought the Judas Contract trade paperback, which I believe at the time, this would have been 2004. I think I think that's when they mm-hmm. published it. Um, okay. And I don't know if it was in some sort of like tie-in anticipation for the cartoon. I suppose the, tar- the cartoon would have been out at that time. I don't know if season two, where they introduced Tara, had been around that time, but like um. It was definitely like I didn't. It wasn't an old trade. It, it was like a, the the then recent trade, and I bought that. I read it, and you know, it's one of my favorite. It's, it's one of my favorite stories. I think partly because of that, but just because it's a really really good story. And I've since read all of the original Marvel Fun Titan stuff from Terror of Trigon all the way to the end, and you know, I mm-hmm. I, I I read. Uh, I think I've read pretty much all of the Jeff Johns. Titans run. Um, I didn't. Re- I read mm-hmm. really none of the new teen, the new fifty two stuff. Um, and I was reading a bit of the Teen Titans stuff uh, recently, post rebirth. I was reviewing for the Batman Universe, but by and large, the classic Titans era. I really uh, got to. Now I've not read all of it. Like, I've not read like pretty much most of the most of the time when Kid Flash was on the team. I've not really read all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I found uh, my Terra Incognito trade today. Uh, that I got from Comic Con a couple years back, and actually, I think it's the first time I actually read that. And Wally isn't hmm. there, but like most of the time, my Titans familiarity is kind of post Wally, and so okay. that's sort of my wheelhouse. But obviously, I'm you know I'm a Batman bitch, so if if Tim's in there, <laughs> if Tim's in there, then, then I'm paying attention. But this story in particular, um, I don't go so far to say it. it means a lot to me, but I have a lot of affection for it. And Tara as a character uh, just excites me. She, she just I, I believe I wrote into um your uh nightwing show uh, when you covered this originally about her just because she she tickles me so. uh-huh. <laughs> cool yeah titan sarah believe it or not while you were talking um i looked it up it is still active it, it hasn't nothing's been um nothing has really been posted uh new since the uh for a few years but uh, and i don't know how m- many of the pages are still active but titanstower.com was a um Man, that was a godsend when I was, uh, I would have been about 22, 23 and working mindlessly working in an office. And basically the amount of time I spent just cause, cause Bill, um, not only we're going to wax this car for a moment here. Um, Bill not only had like character profiles and histories and stuff, but he, um, he compiled like interviews and things like that that were uh, previously available in like old issues of like Amazing Heroes and Comics Buyer's Guide and like you know it's like old comics press from that time um, and put them up there. So like you know these were things that I had never read before. You know I was like this is amazing. I'm seeing you know a little bit behind the scenes stuff that I didn't really know beyond what I'd read in like the intro to the trade paperback and a number of and then he had a few uh, interviews here and there. A number of which would um, in larger form. Make 
make it its way into Glenn Cadigan's first uh, Titans Companion volume for Tomorrow's Publishing, mm. um, which which I was telling you last night over. I, I scanned a few pages for you. Um, I bought like off the rack, so to speak. Like I saw that in previews. I was like, order this for me, please. And then uh, and and it's it's it, that is an, another amazing book. But yeah, Bill Bill Walker, um, you know, I certainly owe him a depth of debt of gratitude um, for for reinvigorating my fandom, especially that was around the time of that uh, that the the series that started with Devin Grayson it ran concurrently with Young Justice because they right. were canceled at the same time in the Graduation Day miniseries before the Jeff Johns run, and that series, um, with all respect to Jay Ferber was who Ferber who was um, who followed Devin Grayson was not very good. It'll be in my reread. I'll see if it's aged. But from what I've read since then, I was like, ah, oh, that's not particularly. See, that's aged, interesting because I remember uh, um, around yeah, early in my Titans education um, was after I got mm-hmm. this book. I did remember picking up some some back issues of that and digging it because it was so like familiar and continuity based. But I remember talking to Josh and we've had it mm-hmm. out about you know uh, how <laughs> like I guess precious it was. And I've not read it in a long time, so it, w- it would be an interesting kind of reread. But uh, I know it has not the best reputation. Um, uh, but, but I, I remember digging it for what it was, but like, uh, yeah. it, it was, it was a pretty, like, uh, fresh read for me. And it's got some very good art, artwork. Paul Pelletier did a number, did a big run on those, on, on that title for a while. Mark Buckingham yeah, did yeah. some artwork. It, yeah, it did some really, really good artwork, but yeah, it, it's, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> mine, um, it, yeah, it's, 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 uh, and I have to go back and reread it. Uh, Barry Kitson did smart. So the art was always pretty solid. Um, the, the, the stories and that was editorial interference among other things too. So, um, now my history, I've, man, I've documented this like 10 times over at this point. So just a very, very brief, um, look at like how I came to read the, t- the Judas contract. Um, I actually, my first issue was new Titans 71. So I came in with the Titans hunt in 1990 because I started reading comics in 1990 due to the fact that my friend loaned me this storyline that had run through Batman and this book called the new Titans called a lonely place of dying. And I went to the comic store and right there was detective like the, Batman 450, 451, Detective 617, and Detective 618, in which, and then 618 is when Tim Drake's parents got kidnapped. So um, I was on the ground floor with the Tim Drake Robin, and then my friend said, well, if you want, you know, Dick Grayson, you've got to buy New Titans, and that was my first issue. Um, and uh, as I've always said this, Wolfman Perez issues by at that point, except for the ones that were in the very low numbers, like, you know, your number one through, through ten, and anything that actually had the Terminator in it, um, were pretty easy to come by, and they were pretty cheap. I think I used to buy them for about a buck fifty a piece um, in the back issue bin. So I, I got into I got into this pretty quickly, and then um, this I have the trade that was originally published in um, in like 1988. It's it's got a gray frame on it, and uh, and a painted drawing by Perez, um, like big huge Terminator head and half of the team fighting terror inside the head terminator head and then jericho and nightwing fighting hive villains outside in the mountains so that was the first time i'd ever read the judas contract uh i got it for my 14th birthday because it was on the, sh- the graphic novel shelf at my lcs and um loved it 
And then my friend ended up getting one of the, and you may have come across these, the, this company Eclipse through an imprint called ICG or Independent Comics Group published these index indexes of various DC titles in the 80s. And they did a Teen Titans index and he had the issue of the Teen Titans index that covered like these couple of years of the Titans. So I remember we used to read over that thing like over and over again and then we're like determined to get all the issues in the book and I eventually did. So um, so I've had a very long personal history with this. Um, have always loved this um, and have loved it for uh it's storytelling, it's characterization aspects and stuff like that. Um, Tara's a villain. Tara's a character. I thought was always, I'm kind of with you, like I love the character because it's just um, how well done the whole, uh, the whole storyline was as far as like, you know, she was and everything and, and how it was not as telegraphed as, you know, as it seems. And, you know, if, if you were reading it on a month by month basis, I can't imagine what that would have been like. Um, and uh, for our reference, I did go through the letter columns because uh, the individual issues that I pulled some expert excerpts to to see what people were thinking. And there were a number of people who were not were pretty sure that she was going to turn back at the end, you know, <laughs> and Tara had her stance. Yeah, they they. Yeah. So so the, the whole thing is and this is like really important. Um, there's an intro in. Uh, the Judas contract trade that I have, and it might be in yours as well. There's one by Marv Wolfman and there's one by George Perez. And the the Marv Wolfman one, I think it is, the the, the impetus for creating Tara Markov was Kitty Pride. And and I and, and so basically, the long story short is that Kitty Pride was introduced at the very beginning of the Dark Phoenix saga, and then after the Dark Phoenix saga, she ends up becoming a student at Xavier's school and a member of the X Men. Um, she's actually been always one of my favorite X Men characters. Um, I've always, you know, real. I always enjoyed Excalibur, etc. So, but she was very much a kid sister to a number of the people on the team. She was very well liked by the fans. And uh, has grown into a really, you know, strong female character, at least from the one, the stuff I've read. I haven't read X-Men in like 25 years, so <laughs> take that as you will. So what they decided and, and what the new Teen Titans tended to do was get a lot of comparisons to the Uncanny X-Men. In fact, they crossed Those are over. both the top selling book of their companies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Marvis basically said, let's play with this and let's introduce... Um, let's introduce a scrappy do, right? You know, let's introduce this girl, and she's kind of a punk, but she's a little <laughs> bit cute. You know, she's Tara's like her, Tara. Tara's attitude is she's a punk. You know, like in terms of her attitude. You know, and 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 I I say that with all all due respect and, and as a term you know of what? endearment, like, um, she is not. Like, like, no matter it's when I when I read her, these old issues, it's not Ashley Johnson's voice I hear. It's not. The woman who voiced her in the, the Just Contract animated film. It's I, I read her dialogue like this, and she sounds like this. And shut up, Logan. Like it's it's like that all the time. <laughs> so what if she's in the in the early 2000s? She would have been played by one of the Olsen sisters or something. Yeah. <laughs> Just like. <laughs> uh, but no, she yeah, she's she is she it, it, she's a bit pip squeaky. She's a bit punk and she is, it's very, very scrappy do. Um, the later on in the eighties, the Titans would have their own, um, their own version of the cousin Oliver and Danny chase, <laughs> but oh, he was, he was thank God he's not in this story. Oh, he's a pain in the ass. Um, so, but she, she's, she's a Serbic from the beginning. And, and her thing is that whereas 
Kitty was always introduced as a nice girl from the suburbs. There was nothing, anything wrong with her. She was just a student that, um, you know, creepy Xavier found uh, via Cerebro Sur- and, <laughs> and they went and recruited her. Um, Tara was a villain at first and then seemed to be like, you know, she was just being forced to do whatever. And I'm going to get into the snuffs and everything. But the whole idea was that from the very beginning, they were going to do what they did, which is reveal that she was not actually a hero. She was a mole. She was working for the Terminator. And, and, and the whole idea was to just upend the trope of the cute little sister superhero that, and, you know, and, and really kind of mess with the fans, you know, <laughs> like, um, and, and it led to the Judas contract. So I'm going to go ahead and, and get into the, um, uh, and, and like I said, a number of fans were fooled. Apparently they got a death threat. Um, it's like the more things change right um so i'm gonna get into the uh the plot synopsis and this is kind of a loose uh loose one it's not that detailed because it is a very famous story you can find online (laughs) synopses of it but for context you know i'll give you kind of the the gist of it so the story uh that is titled the judas contract actually runs for four issues uh new Tales of the Teen Titans, 42, 43, 44, and annual number three. And if you're uninitiated in the Teen Titans of this era, there was a book called The New Teen Titans. It became the Tales of the Teen Titans with issue 41 because then DC was going to be uh, producing a brand new New Teen Titans book on expensive Baxter paper. We often refer to it as the Baxter series. Um, That was only going to be offered in the direct market comic shops and with issue 60 uh, the the original series becomes tales of the teen titans and it goes into reprints of the new teen titans with issue 60 okay so 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 this confuses me so like it wasn't as though they had two fresh concurrent running series like like amazing spider-man protector spider-man it was like one turned into a book of reprints while the other turned into another title Yes, because um, so the New Teen Titans, the Baxter series that started in 1984, was only at comic shops, but they had such a good presence on the newsstand. So what they did was they ran um, for a year. They ran new stories in each of them. But continuity wise, um, you read uh, you start at DC Comics Presents number 26, which is the preview of the, the of the New Teen Titans, New Teen Titans number one up to Tales of the Teen Titans 58. Tales of Teen Titans 59 um, reprints DC Comics Presents 60, uh, 26. And then with number 60, it's a reprint of New Teen Titans number 1. So the old series all the way through, and then you start with the new series if you're reading them in, in total order. So it's, it's Tales so. of Teen Titans, and then at what point does, does it go back? Because I know like by the time you get to the 90s and stuff, it turns to the Titans, or the new Titans. Oh, yeah, so... Okay, so um, so Tales of the Teen Titans runs as a reprint because, again, they were still getting enough newsstand distribution um, to warrant it. It runs as a newsstand reprint until issue, I think it's like 91 or so, um, which reprints the end of that Second Brother Blood storyline. You know, the one from, like, post-crisis with, right. that, where they bring that back Raven and all that. Yeah. Way too long, way too long. <laughs> so, it's new... Oh, don't worry about it. I put the explicit tag on this fucking thing. Ah. Um, so... It stays New Teen Titans until issue 50 of this, and that becomes the New Titans in 1989. It's the New Titans all the way until its cancellation in 1996. And then you have, then it gets fun. Then you have the Dan Jurgens written and drawn Teen Titans, which lasts about two years. Then you have, then that gets canceled. You have Titans JLA. 
Then you have The Titans, which is the Devin Grayson series. That gets canceled alongside Young Justice, and then that those both of those get canceled. And we have we have Teen Titans written by Jeff Johns and The Outsiders written by Judd Winnick. The um, <laughs> mm-hmm. That Teen Titans starts with Jeff Johns, goes through Sean McKeever, JT Cruel writes it at one point. I I, I don't know who who it finished was, it, it up, a, but it was, a, um, it was like Felicia Henderson, I think. Yeah, I think so. That goes to issue one hundred. Yes. And then that gets canceled because the new 52 comes. Um, and then there's also a Titans series that begins as a let's bring the band back together of the this this team, the Wolfman They're Paris running. Titans as adults. Um, yeah, by Judd Winnick. But that becomes this Deathstroke-led team. I have all the issues of I have like, I all read them once and then I put them away. Um, uh, with our, that's that it, as a result of the. Um, the story written by James Robinson that I really don't want to talk about, in which Roy Harper's daughter gets oh, cry for justice, chilled. yeah, yeah, cry for justice, and his, you know, so there's that, and then the a bunch of the Titans become Justice League members uh, leading up to the New Fifty Two, because I think that's a Dwayne McDuffie run there. <laughs> this now we're getting to an era where I've I read this is of books that I read once and put away. I, know, I was, I was telling myself <laughs> so, that like you know af, after Bruce Lee Murder of Fugitive and like Batgirl twenty five, you don't need me on the show anymore. And he just like re- reviewed this. If I don't care, she was like, "What? No!" It's like yeah, there's like a, once again the Dio era of, of DC. It's a bunch of, like you know nonsense. Yeah. yeah, I mean I could tell you infinite what I happened around Infinite Crisis because I was really into things around then. But after that, I just there was a whole period there where I actually didn't read comics for a year and a half because I was just so burned out. Um, yeah, and then with the new, then we had the new fifty two, and that's where I finally gave up. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like when you have like you know, superstar, you know, diverse, you know, fresh characters like Bunker, it's like you guys really aren't taking this seriously, <laughs> are you? Or Kid Flash's <laughs> stupid costume, or Dick Tim Drake's stupid costume, or the, or the continuity yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Although they had a redesigned Aqualad, he was African American. I really thought that character's design was cool, but I never saw him in anything. He, so. um, I can tell you that like, and the, the off topic, but like a. Uh, and Rebirth, when Damien was in the Teen Titans, uh, the Calderon, mm-hmm. Jackson Hyde, uh, Black Aqualad became an official mm-hmm. member. Oh, cool. Cool. All right. So now we got out of the way. We got four issues. Now, the thing about this story is if you read the, the Judas contract in just those four parts, because that's they were actually – they had trade dress of the Judas contract on the cover. It's one of the earliest times that was actually ever done. You know, as far as naming the storyline on the cover. So anyway, you're not getting the whole story. Even the trade collects issues 39, 40, 41 right. <laughs> prior to that. Um, and 39, uh, you know, we'll get to that. But it's actually the climax of two years of storytelling that begins in the new Teen Titans number 26, which is the first part of a two-part series story called Runaways, which is outstanding. And I, I recommend it to everybody. But it also has its seeds in the very first issue of the new Teen Titans. In that issue, Starfire crashes into the apartment of Grant Wilson, but then he is whisked away by. But then she's whisked away by the newly reformed Teen Titans. Um, Grant is then approached by a member of the Hive, and the Hive is this group of purple-robed people. It's like it's like DC's version of the Marvel kind of third-rate villain organization AIM. Uh. Like these guys all dress up in the same costume, yet they're kind of like. C list and they're trying to make a name for themselves and they've been titled 
stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've been knocked around by Superman enough times that they decide to go after the Teen Titans. <laughs> um, so, so what they do is they approach Grant and they say, you know, you hate the Titans. Well, we can help you kill them. And they give him powers. Now, those powers had been stolen from Deathstroke the Terminator, who had been originally offered the contract but turned it down. But they, like, body scanned him and, through comic book science, got his powers. um, And they gave them to Grant. Well, Deathstroke the Terminator, Slade Wilson, is one of the world's most powerful mercenaries. um, And... uh, Grant, unbeknownst to anybody until we hit the Judas contract, is his son. You know, so it's we know the kid's name is Grant. We don't we we don't put two until together until a few years later of of who of who this this kid is in relation to. Very similar. Oh, they are. Yeah. In fact, he calls himself the Ravager and uh, then he attacks the Titans. But the powers that the hive give him gave him kill him. (laughs) And he and and um, and. Deathstroke kind of mops things up for him and and takes him away and and buries him. And then he ends up, it's kind of reluctantly, he's like, you kind of forced my hand here. I have to accept this contract to kill the Teen Titans. He will appear again, in uh, Deathstroke will appear again in issue number 10. That's where he uh, actually succeeds in killing Changeling, uh, Gar Logan. Although Gar will next uh, issue be brought back to life thanks to the Amazons on Paradise Island. Um, And then Deathstroke will not make another appearance in the title until issue 34. So like a full two years later. Um, And I, I point this out because we are in an era where like... The uh, the Joker appears like what every other month. <laughs> like we are an era we we have been in an era of overused villains for many 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 years at this point, and that started in the nineties. But you know the, the 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 one thing I will say about Wolfman and Para is they knew how to use villains like Deathstroke, like Brother Blood, even you know et, et cetera sparingly. You know they weren't always showing up every other issue. And Deathstroke before the before issue thirty nine, which is the beginning of the Judas contract trade, has three appearances in the New Teen Titans uh, comic. It's two ten and thirty four, uh, which is probably why they were so expensive to buy. <laughs> uh, so anyway, during that time, the Hive does try a few other things. Um, and most importantly to our story, though, a girl with the name of Terra attacks the Statue of Liberty in issue 26. She fights the Titans in issue 28. She claims the reason that she's committing crimes is that she's being blackmailed by terrorists who have her, you know, parents hostage. And not only do those terrorists get taken down, she aids the Titans. She's made a member mostly by Gar. Uh, and and I actually covered a few of these issues a couple years ago, uh, right around the time I can't remember what episode it is, but um, I will link to it in the show notes. Um, and uh, and then it's like a provisional basis. They they won't put her portrait up in the uh, in the meeting room of Titans Tower. Which it's such a superhero comic trope. Like we have a meeting room and we have our portraits on the wall. But anyway, to remind um, who everyone is. Yeah, this is who we all are. Um, but she also they all. But the, the more important thing is that they won't tell her their secret identities, except for the ones who like have public identities. Like Vic Stone, Cyborg, and Gar Logan, Changeling are known as them because they're so. kind of hard to hide. Somehow, not a choice. I think it's it's like an open secret, from what I understand. 
like it's sort of known, but it's not. Um, it's not. It's not gonna say you know, anything. Where like for for no reason they don't know she's who she is. Yeah, they they know who she is, but it's just like it's it's seen. It's not something that is very. Um, like the fact that her identity is public or are semi-public is not really. Because I remember I was reading Derek Hanita, and there's a scene where she visits Terry as he's like mm-hmm. talking to his ex-wife, and the ex-wife didn't really mm-hmm. seem to know who she was. I think, I think Donna is. Okay, my my, my no pricing it is Donna will make it known to people who she trusts with it, in that sense. But she's a lot she's a lot less secretive about it than with. Um, Oh, what's his face? Like Dick. And um, she does. Uh, Terry's wife eventually does know that she's Wonder Girl because Terry's daughter, um, f- you know, she t- t- she tells Terry's daughter about it and everything. So I think upon that first meeting, Terry hadn't told her. And then she eventually Donna would tell her herself. So that that's what I'm going with. But like, you know, Wally West, Kid Flash, Dick Grayson, Robin, neither of them have public Identity. Which is why, like, so, like when Tara's yeah. constantly complaining, why do you guys always call each other by your code names? Tell me your real name. And like Cyborg says, because Robin, Kid Flash, and Wonder Girl have like a, le- a loyalty to Batman, Flash, and Wonder Woman. If you knew, you know Ooh. them. Uh, and she still yeah. complains. <laughs> well, because of course she does. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so the fight, the Titans end up fighting Deathstroke in issue number thirty-four. It uh, it looks like Terra is responsible for their victory. It appears that she kills Deathstroke, but he um, but he escapes because of course he does. Um, but at the end of the issue, we see the two of them meet up in her apartment. Oh boy! Um, she's she's been working with him the entire time, and she is a mole. So for the better part of a year from this point on, Terra is fighting alongside the Titans, and we get some reminders of her mission here and there. The Titans, especially Raven and to a lesser extent Cyborg, constantly feel that something is off. Raven senses evil in her, but Raven is going through her goth emo phase to the extreme because Trigon is slowly taking her over. And about a year after the Judas contract is the Terror of Trigon storyline. So, like, she keeps doubting her intuition, thinking that it's her father's influence corrupting her. And she's seeing everybody as evil because her father, you know, etc. Vic always thinks there's something up. In fact, when she reveals herself to the Titans, he's like, you know, uh, you know, they're all in the in the big Bond villain machine at oh, the end of the right. yeah, contract like, there, and he's like, you know, it's all slipping into place, and he had seen it. But one of the th- yeah, and one of, this is one of the things that I, I made in the episode that I did about um, it was issues twenty eight through thirty one. The reason, one of the reasons she's able to kind of weasel her way into the group this way is that they're so distracted by their own bullshit that they don't see this. Like they're they're really strong as a team, but each of them has personal drama going on. Um, <laughs> And 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 so they just kind of like they kind of accept it happening because this is around issue thirty four is right before annual number two, which is that vigilante the introduction to the vigilante and and Robin's been just on this rampage of like you know I don't want to be like Batman anymore. He's you know, Brandon poisoning his ass off. Yeah, yeah, and um, and you know and Jason Todd. Pre-crisis, Jason Todd is waiting in the wings. You know, Vic's dealing with this relationship drama with Sarah Sims. Um, Corey is chasing after Dick. Um, (laughs) You know, Donna... uh, Terry Long. 
proposes to her, and, and, and like she's he proposes. So there's, so there's, it's, it's, it's good. It, you know, there's some good things going on. There's some bad things going on. But it's all like, um, somebody once described the New Teen Titans as Beverly Hills 90210 with superheroes, and it's really an apt description of it because it's very teen soap and it's very much like they all have their different things and they eventually they every once in a while get together and fight a supervillain and um and that's what's going on and, and that's really important because if you could see how she was able to trick them into taking her on you could see that she took advantage of the fact that they were all to some degree to well, do you, are, are, would you is there is there something in your mind that that suggests that like if they were on their a game tarot would be very easily found out um, I think if they were on their A game, they would have dug into her past a little, like upon those first few slip ups that she has, because she slips up pretty early on. You know, the even Gar Gar's a little too smitten with her, but even he's like, you know, she said she sewed her own costume and she said that the people were this and that, but he's so kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, and like, um, yeah. I was talking, I was mentioning Josh earlier today, Joshua Tony, and like, I, I I've read the um the Outsiders Teen Titans crossover. Um, where it's, there are a couple mm-hmm. moments where, like, where, like, I, Tara, like, you know, seems happy to see Brion, but she's also like, you know, I'm supposed yeah. to destroy the Titans. I don't want to destroy him. And like, there were, yeah. and he mentions that, um, because again, I'm not ready of every issue that there are moments where she like, not she's not as dumb as like, you know, Barbara Gordon calling Commissioner Gordon dad in costume, but like, there are moments where she mm-hmm. kind of like, slips up, and the Titans just kind of blink and don't notice it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's again they're. Uh, they're not paying enough attention to her. Like, you know, she, um, and, uh, and, and after a while, especially since she's so, she, she knows exactly who to ingratiate herself with. You know, she knows, she, she forms this relationship with Garfield Logan, you know, the, there's one point where they're, they're both being tutored, you know, um, and, and they, 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 they do this, um, you know, she's, She's got the sort of you know post crisis Jason Todd street punk attitude that they they kind of they they let it go they're like you know they 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 let a lot of things slide that I think if they were more um if they probably should not have and I think that's just a testament to them you know they were the cracks were already beginning to show and then she just got in there and exacerbated them and things like that. So, cause it does not, it does not have a happy ending. And, and that's the other thing it's, you know, this is not, um, them taking down, like, you know, this is taking down and then they have a triumphant ending. It is a really just sad, sad final few panels of the, of the annual. Um, so at this point in my recap, I'm up to issue 39. So the, 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 uh, 37 and Batman and the outsiders number four, Five, I think it is, is a crossover between the two. It's a really, really good crossover. Um, it does formally establish that Brian, uh, Brian Markov and Tara Markov are brother and half-sister, I believe. Um, half-brother, half-sister. Something that was made possible, I love this story, because Mike W. Barr and Marv Wolfman came to Jeanette Kahn with ideas for a, an Earth-based hero right, like, right at the same time. Uh, okay. And that they were like, oh, you've got... Yeah, it was a total coincidence that they were they they came up with these two characters separately and they approached uh, like Dick Giordano and Jeanette Kahn about it. And uh, I don't know whose idea it was based on the interviews. I'd have to go back and read. But one of them was like, well, why don't you just make them related, you know, so that you can have both characters like, you know, 
they were kind of, you know, I think they were, they were ready to fight over their character and they were like, here's the compromise. They're, they're related, you know? So, so that's how that came about. It was not, it was done as a result of a total coincidence. Um, but in issue 39, it has that famous cover that, uh, homages amazing Spider-Man number 50, which Dick Grayson and Wally West are walking away from their Robin and Kid Flash costumes that are strewn about the white background and the title. They would do it again and again. <laughs> Later on, I've seen them. I've seen them. Mm-hmm. They would do it again and again and again. Now, in this issue, the Titans not only begin to reveal their identities to Tara, and not only do that we see that she has been recording everything via a camera contact lens, which I always thought was a cool device, by the way. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Very Mission Impossible. Um, We also see that in addition to smoking and wearing the eyeliner of evil, TM uh, Television Without Pity, um, she and the Terminator have a sexual relationship. And uh, we are going to have a lengthy discussion on this later. So I'm going to, I'm going to put why a, we're here. <laughs> that's why we're here. But to get through everything else, we'll just, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put a pin in that. So <clears throat> the panel is of her in uh, what looks like a, like a purple bathrobe, which is open to reveal um, that she's really not wearing anything underneath. And she's, uh, she's smoking a cigarette and has some the post coil and she's got some terrible, terrible eyeliner on. Um, and uh, after this, there's a brother blood two parter. And then we get to the four part Judas contract story. And the first, the eyes of Tara Markov, she runs surveillance on the team. She almost blows her cover when trading with Gar because he gets too aggressive with her and she nearly kills him. And he had it coming. Um, and then we get the second most infamous panel of Deathstroke and Tara. This time she's in an expensive white floor length dress. Part two is Betrayal and was guest written by Stella, or maybe she gave them the rights to use the word. Um, yeah, I know. I actually know she wasn't alive yet. <laughs> Uh, anyway, this is the one that opens with Destro crashing um, through the window of Dick Grayson's apartment. It's one of my favorite scenes in a comic yeah. book ever. It's just such a great fight. Um, he fails to take him out. Dick gets away. He tries to contact the other Titans, only to discover one by one that they have been captured, and Destro turned them over to the Hive. And um, this entire time, um, and, and that is something else I want to point out, by the way, like we, we in, in discussions of the Judas contract, people like to point out who's the real villain, Deathstroke or Terra. Let's not forget that there's a third, per, this third group, the Hive, orchestrated this whole thing because they wanted to flex that they captured and supposedly killed the Teen Titans. So, you know, there are three villains in this piece, not just two. The entire time this is happening, by the way, a woman and a young blonde man have been following them. They somehow break this hack the security of Titan's tower and they meet up with him. And, uh, the woman introduces herself as Adeline Wilson. She is Slade Wilson's ex-wife. Her son is Joseph. And in part three, there shall come a Titan, which is mm. the type of title that is right out of the Stan Lee, Mor- Roy Thomas, <laughs> Marvel <laughs> trade there. Uh, we get Deathstroke's origin. Uh, Deathstroke is basically, Captain America gone mercenary and not in a John Walker sort of way to make him more slightly more contemporary popular reference. Um, Deathstroke was a Vietnam vet. He was experimented on by the army to be given enhanced powers. Um, it appeared that the experiment did not work. And what they did was basically brush it under the rug. So did he, though. It worked. He has, like, he can use 90% of his brain or whatever the hell he keeps bragging about. And uh, he decides to become a mercenary. And he is the most famous mercenary in the world. He makes 
oogobs of money killing people for um, you know various. It sure does. <clears throat> I'm sure that if 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 Dan Hedaya had known about him, he would have hired him instead of Bennett for Commando and would have done a better job. Or um, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> and and. Uh, and Addie tells Dick about Grant, who was the Ravager, um, who really had wanted to follow in his father's footsteps anyway. And that he, she also tells him that Joseph is mute because there was a moment where uh, the terrorists had kidnapped Joseph, um, wanting Deathstroke. Deathstroke showed up and uh, killed the terrorists, but not before they cut Joseph's throat and uh, muted him. Um, the reason that Slade has one eye, by the way, is that in response to him essentially allowing his son's throat to get cut, Addy tried to shoot him. He has such quick reflexes that she only she only shot out his eye. Awesome. So, <laughs> Addy, so Addy Wilson is a badass, you know, an unsung hero of this of this book. She is a badass. She has her own like. Searchers Incorporated, which is like basically like an espionage outfit and everything. Um, some really really good stories with her until they fuck up her character. Yeah, in the 90s. that's another thing about Titans Tower. Like I learned all about like this, like her and Wintergreen, all that kind of stuff, and kind of seeing mm-hmm. what became of them later on. Some several issues. I found that all that fascinating. Story wise, the first like half of the Deathstroke the Terminator series is pretty solid. It's just it's a solid action series, you know. So, um, all right. So there's more to the, the, we're going on here. So Dick, uh, let's finish it up. Dick decides to debut his new costume and his name, which is Nightwing. Joey reveals that he has a costume. He has powers. He can take over other people's bodies. Uh, his name is Jericho. I reveal that I have a signed copy of that issue. And uh, they head to the hive in the Rocky Mountains. This is where we get to part four. This is finale. This is annual number three. Terra is revealed to be the tit- to the Titans to be the Terminator's partner. Nightwing and Jericho infiltrate the base. They eventually help free their comrades, and a massive battle happens between the Titans, the Hive, Deathstroke, and Terra. At one point, Jericho takes over Deathstroke's body, and con- that convinces Terra that he has betrayed all of them, and um, especially her. And uh, after the Titans pile on in battle, she more or less snaps and tries to kill all of them by taking down the entire mountain surrounding the headquarters, but she only succeeds in killing herself. Mm-hmm. The, the aftermath is that they bury her in a grave with this really horrible looking bust <laughs> on top of her. She died as she lived looking goofy. Yes. Looking goofy and surprised. Um, and they memorialize her. They memorialize her as a Titan, but not villain. Um, and from issues 45 to 55, of Tales of the Teen Titans. While there are a number of villain fights, and we even get Donna Troy marrying Terry Long, uh, we see the Titans process their grief in various ways, including denial. Uh, a number of them, if, if, if you read some of those issues and you hear some of the dialogue between the team members, some of them really are in denial of what actually happened. Um, you know, like they know, but they're they're in that grief grief stage of denial like that they can't they they cannot bring themselves to believe that this actually happened to them and and with her um yeah it is it is but but instead of that they're just kind of like they are really acting in a way that's just like dickish and then and that really fuels what gar um gar goes through a lot and and he's really really angry throughout quite a bit of of this run and um in issue 54 uh 
he sabotages the trial of Slade Wilson because they have captured him at the end of the Judas contract and they're going to put him on trial for one of the crimes that he committed in an earlier issue because they have the evidence for it. Um, but he, Gar causes a mistrial because he wants to kill Deathstroke for what he did to Tara. Um, but when Slade shows up and, and uh, you know this issue 55, um, oh, Gar sends Slade this sort of like, you know, I want to kill you. Slade shows up and um, he's wearing his street clothes and this pisses Gar off because he wants to kill Deathstroke. He doesn't want to kill Slade Wilson. He can't bring himself to to kill the kill the guy. Did you ever think that Gar Logan was ever going to kill him anyway? You know, just in general. Um, so they have this very long chat in a coffee shop, um, and it's kind of the resolution to the whole thing. Like the climax to the Judas contract, or this whole thing as a story, is the end of the Judas contract. The falling action is those like ten issues or so where. You know, Gar's really angry. There's some adventures. And this really is that resolution, the denouement. And um, from here on out, uh, we get the Cyborg storyline, uh, the Terror of Trigon, the Baxter series, Cory on Tamaran, etc., etc., etc. Slade heads off to Africa to become a big game hunter. And, and I, it's important, I find this important to, to, to point out, that with the exception of a couple of random panels in Crisis on Infinite Earths, where he doesn't even have a line, he's just there, and I think he's on the cover to issue 9, just in an ensemble of villains, he is not in a Titans issue or a comic until issue 62 of the New Titans. That is in 1989. So he goes about four full years before he appears in a comic again. And then in issue 70, we have a backdoor pilot for his solo series. And then the solo series, The Titans Hunt, in the 90s happens. So um, this is, in a sense, supposed to be the end of his story. Um, Uh, But they would, of course, bring it back because, yeah, if you kind of see it that way. Now, you know... (laughs) When Titan 62 was the first issue after A Lonely Place of Dying, and they were riding a little bit of a sales bump from first the return of George Perez and then the Batman tie-in. So let's do something that's kind of cool and we can bring back somebody, you know, like we need to keep this momentum going. Here's a four-parter with where Deathstroke's fighting alongside them. It's this weird demon thing called Scourge. I don't know. It's I have to reread it. Um but uh, but yeah, so um, so yeah, so this is my kind of <laughs> bumbling uh, synopsis of the Judas contract. Um, I want to start with what we love about this story because we do gen- both genuinely love this story. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna pick it apart because that's what we do. It's a comics podcast. Yeah. I, but, I don't know if I have all that much to criticize. I mean, I, I just 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 some stuff that makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love if I'm if I'm going to criticize it, it's nitpicky, but I love this, and I love this as um, one thing that I've always noticed. Uh, what I noticed years later about the the first, well, like four or five years of the New Teen Titans under Wolfman and Perez is that they are essentially four or five television ser- seasons, with the ending of the big storyline being the season finale, and and it kind of works like you know 11 and 12 of the of the of the new teen titans is this big paradise island fight and everything you know they're fighting the titans of myth it's like epic uh the end of the the second year is the um the the blackfire story where they they fight her for the first time and then the end of the third year is the vigilante story and then there's the judas contract and then you get to um 
you know, like the Terror of Trigon, Donna's Wedding, like you know, something around there where it's, uh, you know, so they, they always knew how to lay the groundwork um, in a way that was pretty uh, pretty innovative for the time. Uh, I think aside from maybe Chris Claremont and John Byrne and a couple other people over at Marvel, the DC really wasn't doing this with titles um, yeah. in the way beyond like the Legion of Superheroes, you know, that they were not doing this in titles where they would, they would lay the groundwork for plots that don't resolve themselves for four years. Um, but still having like a villain of the week. Nowadays, this would have been 12 issues. <laughs> Depressed storytelling. So, um, so I always, I always love the fact that this, um, that this culminates like so many years, but even then I didn't read this when it came out and I did not, I read this before I read anything before it. So even on its own as a trade, it worked. I mean, I read, I still have my original copy and it is dog-eared and flipped through and faded. I have read this thing more times than I can count. <laughs> it, it, I think you made a good point. It's such an action-packed, like serialized story. And mm-hmm. right from the beginning, when I, when I started reading, you know, when I first read this, what struck me is that like, um, even for an early 80s comic, DC comic book, because, you know, comic books throughout the decades always have a certain language. People don't really talk how they do in real life. But mm-hmm. this one they kind of did. And it kind of – I was reminded by that when I actually started Terra Incognito, which is the first appearance. And, like, um, mm-hmm. Gar is kind of looking out at, like, the monitor. sees that there's some trouble with the Statue of Liberty. And he says stuff, you know, oh, I guess I should call the others. Then again, I, I could let the cops handle it and try another, you know, basically play another video game. Nah, who am I kidding? I'm a superhero. We're supposed to put our lives on the line. God, we're stupid. And like, you just didn't <laughs> see comic characters talk so like self-deprecatingly like that. Um, yeah. Couple yeah. with like, you know, George Paris has wonderfully rendered uh, pencils. Um, mm-hmm. This book just looked like it was trying to be as like down to earth as humanly possible. Which makes like you know the, the, everyone's so emotional, and it makes it's, it's these sort of grand sweeping things, and it kind of adds it kind of adds to the sort of mythology, the meta mythology of the Teen Titans because if the Justice League of America, which I know under Jerry Conway tried to go for that, especially with, with you know Green Arrow constantly complaining until he quits, but like um uh-huh. we have like as, as you mentioned in, in, in the lead up to like when Terra joins the team and everyone's just like you know going through their own personal. Uh, emo problems like it makes these characters feel more like characters. i mean this this is a book where they call each other by their by their real name half the time um yeah uh which is refreshing to see back in the day and you know being being secretive of their of their secret identities and such but also very touchy-feely with each other and just kind of just wanted that like their concerns don't seem cookie cutter or conveyor belt within the genre of the of the superhero genre It, it, it feels very very personal and yeah. when you see uh, how like, – like there's an issue where Tara and Gar are kind of touring – basically touring the houses of the uh, of the team, kind of just hanging out. You mm-hmm. know, and there's no real stakes. It's kind of fun seeing like, you know, the, the, the highs and lows of everyone's uh, emotions and such, seeing them train and such. And it's cool. But there's that moment where like um, she, she – after she, kiss, she and Gar kiss – she walks past Raven and says, "How come we not we don't talk?" And Raven's like, "Because I think you're evil." <laughs> and then she walks back and like, "It's like you know, witch. I'm saving you for myself." It's like, oh yeah. yeah. And it kind of brings everything back into focus because it's like 
if you feel like you let your guard down watching her go along with these other characters being so casual. And when you see that, it's like, I mean, I, I, I never thought really that she would ever like, like, like reading this, that she ever would like, you know, side with the team. But that's because I knew that she did. not mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to get yeah. that mindset. But when I'm reading that issue, it just kind of makes it, you know, it, it's, it's almost like they're tore down apocalypse. Like, you know, they're, they're heading towards a real bad ending. Um, and again, yeah, it, it is a combination of like both the writing and the illustration. I mean, I love the inks on this. Like, I, 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 th- I don't know if it's like, a, mm-hmm. I know that Giordano inked later, you know, in the last couple of issues, but I think part one of the Jews contract is like maybe Mike DiCarlo. Um, to- Carlo, I know DiCarlo, so issue 39 is Perez himself, um, and I can see why Perez didn't, al- Perez didn't always ink himself, because it just, I think it just takes too oh, long. Oh, detail, I do love that. I can see, I can tell when it's Mike DiCarlo, Dick Giordano does most of the inking, DiCarlo, DiCarlo pops up in a couple of places. I can tell you that, but I can't. I and and I have to see. Um, I think Mark DiCarlo is my favorite inker in comics. He's just so illustrative. Yeah, I like him on Aparo a lot in the '80s on Batman. There are times um, in here when um, when when I think he doesn't bury Perez's artwork as much as he does later on toward um you know toward the back end of when Perez was just doing layouts and stuff. Um, you know, so and, and Romeo Tangal had done the inks on the book for like ages prior to right. this and he, he always did a very, very solid job too. But yeah, no the inks uh, Giordano's inks especially are, are really, really good too. Um you know, yeah. And they, they and it, it's hard I know that from what I've been told, Perez did really, really tight pencils anyway, but I can only imagine that that would be something very, very easy to screw up as an anchor, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, the, the people, all people who are inking them committed to the background that he drew, you know, like the man loved his detail, you know? <laughs> This, I'm, I'm, I flipped over to the splash page of, of Cyborg trying to lift that huge magnetic yeah. in the weight room and the beads of sweat on the on the on the pecs and the and the the cracks and the thing and like the the motion lines of his legs shaking because he's trying to do it. I mean that is a it is a a badass looking splash page because it's just the amount of thought that he put into penciling that and somebody came in and said okay I got to make sure that I do this justice so yeah you're right the inks in this are really he is also I think too. for the first time I'm realizing that he's clearly George Perez is a student if not a straight up fan of Gil Kane because there's a lot of under the nose mm-hmm. shots of like, like mm-hmm. of the various characters. Um, just like you know, and, and Gil Kane did it all the time. Just like you know, seeing people like, from, yeah. from like the floor, a floor's eye view of 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 the person's face. Yeah, and and it makes sense too because I know that um, he apprenticed under Rich Buckler at one point, and he started at Marvel in the seventies. I think one of his first works was like a Logan's Run adaptation, and he did some White Tiger, and you know, kind of was doing kind of like you know whatever work was available at Marvel when he was like you know young and hungry, and then he did some Fantastic Four and, and Avengers, and um, he did at least one X Men annual. So that would have been around the time that I think Gil Kane was still at Marvel. So his influence clearly, clearly there um, as well. So, and of course, Wolfman was 
you know, writing there. There's a very Marvel feel. There was always a very Marvel oh, feel absolutely. to this, which is one of the things that people talk about. And even in the 80s, um, um, sorry, but like even in the 80s, like, like Batman okay. at the time, like written by Doug Mitch and stuff, it w- he would be serialized. He was going mm-hmm. through like, you know, his Catwoman troubles and such. And like, it's a very romantic yeah. book, um, weirdly so. But this one feels so much more hard hitting, I think. This mm-hmm. one feels much more like, like I can't imagine. I mean, I, I don't think they were trying to be like anybody. It just feels like they were trying to make these characters feel real. You know, even though like, the way that generations age now, I mean, they're supposed to be like 19 or 20, and like nowadays, they, those those 19, 20 year olds are even more childish and immature and young, but here they feel like young adults. No, you're right. I mean, I teach seniors. <laughs> they are. It's it is where they they seem so much younger too, but but it is. You're right. These are like adults, and like I said, there's a there's a soapiness to this. And I say that in a, in a good way. They, they, I don't know if either of them were watching soap operas at the time, but there are some of the more emotional, dramatic things that they were clearly pulling from that. Um, and some of those scenes, especially in that first part of the Judas Contract, where they, of the entire issue is just Tara spying on them, right? And I think the one piece of action is that fight that she has with Gar, because they got to get some action in, right? And um, if you've ever watched enough soap operas, Whenever there's a happy moment on an episode of a soap opera, you as the audience are waiting for the other shoe to drop somewhere. <laughs> like, you know, this is the, the, there's never a happy moment on it. And, and that's what that issue feels like. So it's like, were they watching Days or All My Children or General Hospital or whatever? Like, you know, I, I wonder if there was a little influence there, but we can punch it up with a lot of action. And I think it really, really worked well. Um, and I liked those moments, like you, the, the one that you were mentioning with her, right after kissing Gar, going and seeing Raven. It's a really well-paced TV moment, and which I'm saving you for myself. It's like a little pig face. Hey, she's, <laughs> yeah, God, she's reminding the audience she's looking, she's looking of what's really going on. Wall. Yeah, but at the same time, she's also kind of reminding herself. Like, because there are moments where even even Slade is wondering if she's getting, or Wintergreen, I think, might be wondering if she's getting a little too close to the the Titans. Yeah, you know, and and so they 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 have planted that seed of like enough to string the fans along to think that maybe she will turn out to be good in the end, or she'll redeem, she'll have the redemption scene. You know, she's been bad this whole time, but maybe she at the very end, she's like, no, I'm going to do the right thing. And so they're putting those little hints that it might happen, but then they turn the twist the knife a little bit and they remind us, no, she's playing, she's deep undercover and she's playing. What do you, what do you think at any point? Because uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much I, I started thinking of this a little bit today. Do you think, mm-hmm. honestly, at any point, Tara, did, I mean, obviously she commits to hating them in the end, but do you think that she was like, a one-way street of, of, of contempt all the way through, or were there times where, where she did waver? I want to say there were probably times when she did waver, especially in the heat of the action, especially in those moments where... Um, like in the Brother Blood story where like, Cyborg saves her. The Brother Blood storyline, yeah, Cyborg saves her and things like that. I think I think there are, and maybe in that Outsiders, um, Outsiders crossover, especially like where she can see the collateral damage with her brother, and... So I wouldn't be surprised if she did doubt, um, you know, if she did doubt um, her, you know, her, her mission here. Um, 
you know, because something is it's it's always like so what what Slade says in issue fifty five is like he gives a little bit backstory to where she came from prior to her showing up because we never get the Terra origin story aside from the fact that her and Brian got their powers from the same person, you know, and he's basically like she was evil when I met her. And he hired her, you know, and I'm putting it very, very simply. Um, and so, but that, but that's a, that happens. We learn that way after the fact. So we have to put the pieces together alongside, um, everything. And, uh, I think that's a really well done aspect to this story. Like if you didn't read beyond this Jews contract, you have to figure out who she is and whether, what her motivations are. Um, you know, aside from the fact that she's been, you know, she's been working with him or hired to work with him or whatever. Um, and, and his motivation in hiring her is to get information and assistance in helping take down the Titans. He, he is, he and the hive have decided that they are a tougher, um, tougher team to beat than they originally thought. And and they don't want them just defeated. They want them brought in and killed. Yeah, yeah. Slade, Slade, so, Slade at no point like really insults the Titans. He's like, no, they're they're like legit mm-hmm. uh, dangerous opponents, and like we need to take we need to take this like yeah. the most seriously before taking our lives, which is actually kind of refreshing because most of the time it's like, ah, you fools! Like, like, like the the villains are so outlandishly overconfident, and like Slayton is never overconfident. Yeah, he he's arrogant, but not in that. But it been a way that he's not like wahaha villain about it. You know, he and he um he knows the, the he has her basically case the joint. You know, um before attacking them, realizing and and that first issue of her with all with all the, the point of view through her camera lens is that um he's realized that he, if he's gonna get them. Because he needs to get all seven of them. At this point, Kid Flash is still on the team. He needs to get all six or seven of them. He needs to do it separately. You know, he he he's gone up against when, them when they were a weak team, and when he went up against them again, they got stronger. And he's realized he's past the point in a return where he can't take them down together. So um, he makes the mistake of saving Nightwing for last, which um, I, love, I love that that, that like that, he, that Dick is the one who does who's not captured. Yeah, and and it's it's it becomes a trope eventually that either Robin, Nightwing, or Batman is the one that the super powered villain takes down last because they don't have any powers. Right. Et cetera, it feels et very Leonardo, honestly. Like 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 that's that yeah. the kind of the leader is the most the most shrewd. Yeah, but I love the fact that um, it, it's this th- that fight is one of my favorite fights in the entire thing because a Grayson's walking around with a limp. Because he, he has to jump out of his fire escape and like barely escapes with his life, and he's running through Central Park and Deathstroke shooting at him, and Adeline's watching from the car going, "You're and getting good sloppy." Well, and it's he just can't beat Slade and fight. yeah, yeah. So he he runs. It's it's a really again they they had they had an idea of the world in which they were working. You know, like it, it really that was the other thing. This really felt to a certain extent that this was happening in New York City as opposed to. A lot of superhero comics where it's like, you know, where does the real world enter into this? You know, where these people are fighting and there's massive amounts of property damage and things like that. And Slade's shooting at this guy in the middle of the street and people are freaking out. And he's, then he finally realizes, like, I have exposed myself too much and I got to get the hell out of here. You know, like, 
Yeah. <laughs> what are you looking at? Get away from me. I also like, um, I mean, I love the line, like, hello, Grayson. Don't be so surprised. But I also <laughs> like, and this is something like Deathstroke does that I've never seen replicated in any other media. He, like, he has his grappling hook, but he also travels via that, like, boomstick. Like, like I've, I've seen some mm-hmm. illustrations where he's just, like, flying. <laughs> it's like, that, 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 yeah. that seems awfully dangerous. Yeah. But, you know, the man is... <laughs> I And I do, I have to say, I love his origin. Because at this point, we really didn't have the, you know, because they, they clearly go for a, for a riff on Captain America. You know, mm-hmm. the point where Slade before he, Slade was blonde, you know, and, and, and I, and I like the fact that they were directly going for that, but they decided, you know what, it was just, um, but he didn't, like, he didn't turn out evil or, or, you know, his personality was such, no, it's like, it seemed not to go well at first and they just kind of put it put it away and they they brushed it under the rug but no the abilities were there and he's like you know what i'm gonna make i'm gonna i'm gonna make some uh, some money off of this and 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 this weird sort of like it's almost like he's that guy in the most dangerous game you know like you know i don't i, I ran out of things to hunt so i'm gonna hunt man but i'm gonna um but instead <laughs> of being craven i'm uh, instead of being craven the hunter um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to hire myself out as a mercenary. Well, I think that's what Craven the Hunter actually does too. So there, there's a there's just a Marvel villain riff off of him too, and it's just so I think that's what lends itself well to him as a villain because you're right he doesn't he monologues when he sometimes but not to the not on the order of like you know the Green Goblin or so or Doctor Octopus or something like or somebody who's just like you know bwahaha about it. Yeah, like he's, he's he's one of those guys whose confidence and and competence are real to the point where he doesn't need to talk about it. I mean, you know, he, he, he mm-hmm. reassures himself in the reader, you know, my my brain capacity is ninety ninety percent ninety percent. I can do things with the slightest movement, but he's not like you know lording over it. He's just being you know he's he he can be arrogant, but like he. He's not. He's never stupid, and that's. I mean, we talk about you know like the character of this guy, and you know what he does. But I think there's there's a genuine mm. reason why he attracts so many fans, and I think that like he is a villain. I can't imagine there being a villain like him at, at DC Comics up at, that, at this moment in time. I mean, even Rachel Ghoul is more uh, is more arrogant than he is. Rachel Ghoul is essentially a Bond villain too. Yeah, you know, with Talia being yeah, the, Bond, the Bond, femme fatale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's and I love Rachel Cool. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong, but it is it is definitely cut from the spy who loved me for your eyes only cloth. You know, I was even thinking that like um, um, that uh, when Dick shows up to Titan's Tower and Adelaide and Joe are there, it reminds me of when when Ray showed up in the in the Batcave and. Batman's like, who are you? How did you get in here? It's like, it's, it's, it's kind of, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a coincidence, but it, it echoes that in some way. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a really, really good point. I didn't think of that. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm flipping through that issue where they all get captured and I love how he, he takes them out. He just, he, he, all he needs to do is observe and he sees a weakness and he just exploits it. Like, he, he doesn't need to attack Gar. He just poisons the glue. Well, also, like, like, like Starfire is just um, like, so, like, oh, it sticks so sweet. And then, like, five seconds later, she's electrocuted. It's just <laughs> yeah, because it's like, oh, he overloads her. You know, the Donna works as a photographer. Let me put, let me mix the chemicals the wrong way. And, um, 
you know, and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, wait a second, you know, like so he he switches the labels and the chemicals and she she knocks herself out. Um, Gar has sent a bunch of fan letters to sign or pictures to sign, and the glue in the envelopes is toxic. It's it's he he manages to capture most of them without seeming to lift a finger against it was also because i think one on one they would like kill him (laughs) which is that's the only reason i imagine he just like he just hauled off and burst into dick's window whereas the other ones i mean like honestly like like uh cyborg changeling wonder girl starfire they would have pulped him i I think it would have been tough but they could have done it whereas dick deathstroke if, if he wanted to could have killed him and yet Mm-hmm. I, again, I get, you know, Dick is smart enough to, to, like, you know, weasel his way out of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at the... And, and one of the other things that this does, and, and um, this wasn't something that you often got, was that, you know, they take breaks of this story to tell the origin of of the villain mm-hmm. in, like, the third act of the story, which is which is not something you were often there. And then in the middle of the finale part, you get a little bit more of it with Wintergreen. Um, an interesting character in himself and stuff. But then you get the whole... Um, God, the confrontation at the end where they bust out of the out of whatever Bond villain device they oh, have. I love it. That's a great Star Wars. I want them. And let's I want get them tight together. <laughs> yeah, it's just like oh, there is just and and the fight. It's just um, it's rocks and the big villain lair and everybody from the hive is like, uh, we didn't sign up for this. You know, right. yeah. I was wondering <laughs> if like. Because there's no moment like like like, like Terra is like very quickly killed and, and you know ultimately and part and mm-hmm. I've not read the immediate issues after that part of me is wondering if there would have been a, if I would have preferred a more a slower paced kind of cathartic the Titans realizing this because there's a lot of like you know oh she against us oh she's not you know they didn't know what to believe and she's ranting and stuff I mean I think it's a great sequence and you know it's it's as frenzied yeah. and crazy as you can imagine Perez illustrates the hell out of it. It's 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 a great <laughs> sequence, but, but I, I I did was I was curious about the choice of it because it does sort of deny that that I, I all members of Titans just really reeling in pain over this kind of betrayal. But I suppose I mean like yeah I, I mean I don't know I'm, I guess I'm just kind of wondering an alternate version of this. But I still I mean some some of Press's best artwork concerning Terra is in these final pages. What. And, and Wolfman, Wolfman has said that the, the one of the hardest things to write was that issue of where, where Gar and Slate have coffee, um, which in itself was a little bit innovative. What what they what they kind of need is something that wouldn't come along for about a decade, which is the, the this this is X Factor number eighty seven, which is um, Peter David after the Executioner's song has the entire team sit down with Doc Samson for therapy. Um, and it it's a great great issue and if you had something like that um where they were you had more of a post-mortem no pun intended on terra and each of them kind of dealing with it in their own way like those private lives issues and the and the eyes of terra markov issue if you had that because they go like the first issue after um, issue number three, uh, annual number three is 45, which is um, Aqualad and Aqua Girl um, having come across the hive under sea base. And it's a three parter where they finally take out the hive, you know, 
And then they get into the next couple of issues that go into Donna Troy's wedding. So the thing doesn't really stop enough, slow down enough for anybody to process their emotions, except for Gar, who we get a lot of scenes of him acting out and, and like taking down petty thieves by throwing them across warehouses, you know, and things like that. <laughs> oh, that's the superhero and trope of the, like the, the angry superhero who basically is acting in ways which should get him arrested. Like, you know, you went, you went pretty much. Far. It's more than they deserve. It's, it's like, this is kind of a reason why we don't need superheroes in the real world. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And I love the, so I'm, I'm on the page here where, um, <clears throat> of terrorist death. And, um, what happens is that like, you know, uh, Deathstroke gets taken over by Jericho. She's like, I can't believe it. You know, I'm up, I'm against you. And then Gar's like, Oh, she's with us. She's like, No, I hate all of you. And as, as, as an elephant, he's like, Good general, boy. <laughs> Fuck all y'all. And then Raven shows up and is, um, you know, Raven shows up. She's like, She's corrupt. And you see, um, this very scared look on Terra's yeah, face because, like, like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, like she says, no, I cannot remove your evil. I can prevent you from creating further damage. She's legitimately scared of Raven, and because Raven saw through her from the beginning, and she, 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 she did in the first adventure with the Titans was that issue with um, the Brotherhood of Evil captures Raven, and they basically corrupt her to the point where Trigon takes her over for a moment, and she almost kills Wally, yeah. and it's this whole like you see what she's capable of. So Tara is aware of that, and we have one of the um, you know we have. Jericho taking out Deathstroke, but we have um, Tara just throwing rocks at right, yeah, right, uh, Raven. Boulder, right in Raven's face. Oh, like, man. <laughs> like, like, yeah. And she she goes full power, and then Gar hits her in the eye with the, in the contact lens, because she's trying to do anything he can oh, to stop so her. And that one panel where she's like, trying to stop me, damn it, Logan, I'll kill you, I'll destroy, I'll destroy all of you, where, like, you see the immensity of her power because Perez, with the perspective, makes her small, but the volcanoes going up and the earth going all over the place just so huge. It's like you see, like, how strong she is. And it's just – and then you see her basically bring the place down on her. Like, they, they're running away. Yeah. They know that there's – that she doesn't – it's not Jean Grey killing herself at the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. Tara's trying to kill all of them. They know it, and they're like, we've got – they, they bolt. they like, we have to get to a safe place or else she's going to crush us to death. And the only reason she's the only one that dies in this is because she's the only one – literally the only one left in the room at that yeah, point. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, one, uh, I liked in the, in kind of – I like the cartoon, how they re- – not recreated, but you know – they had her and Raven square off, and Raven at one point mm-hmm. gets pissed off and kind of invokes the the Trigon demon powers, um, which mm-hmm. was kind of neat. But like also, I was this is another thing I was kind of thinking about in retrospect for the first time. Um, this kind of gets into you know maybe like you know sort of cultural critique of Terra as a character. Um, there's uh-huh. a lot of there's no reason for her. There's no there's no there's no understanding. She's just evil. She's just crazy. You know, like, like there's a lot yeah. of that just being like, cause there's a lot of like, why Tara? Why? And it's like, there's no reason. She's just crazy. And this, it, this, this does lead into the whole, like, you know, is this fair? I mean, she's just a teenage girl. <laughs> like, like, yeah, you know, I think that, I think with, with the best will in the world, I think that's up for a healthy debate. Yeah. And there's a couple of letters that were written in. And one of them, um, from issue 50 
addresses the whole she was crazy or insane is the word that I see used most often um, in, in the scripting. Um, and, you know, that's not a word we te- – okay, we will throw that word around sometimes these days, but it's oh, not a word that – back in the day, back in 1984, you know, that that was a word that got thrown around – or crazy got thrown around a, a lot. You know, so um, so knowing that, but you have um, – it was Andrew McLaney – and I, I retyped most of the letter. I said um, he had said uh, he, he went through this whole thing and he said uh, the one sad note in Tara's final appearance was the revelation that she was insane. Ultimately, the only thing you can feel for such a person is pity, and it's certain that she, it's the last thing she would have wanted. How much more frightening and chilling would it have been to learn that a 16-year-old Tara was perfectly sane yet thoroughly, completely, despicably evil? The idea that a soul as youthful as hers could be totally corrupt is is as scary as anything I've ever seen in this medium. I think he makes a good point because it is the, because there is the trope of the bad, like there is literally a movie called the bad seed where it's, you know, like the evil little girl is causing Mr. Mayhem and death around her. Um, you know, and, um, I think, uh, there, so there is the evil, (laughs) the Eve child, the Damien, um, you know, not Damien Wayne, but Damien son of Satan from the omen type, that like you know that that uh, that somebody could be naturally born evil, and that would have been an interesting avenue to explore. I think it was. I think Wolfman tried to do it in that later issue with the conversation between um, Slade and Gar, but I think he he didn't. I, I don't think that landed as well as he wished it would have. Um, I think he. I think he he didn't stick the landing there. And that you could have had, you could have had an examine of like, what does make somebody that, what does feel somebody's hatred toward a group of superheroes like that? She had, cause it's not a revenge plot, you know, she had nothing against them in terms of they killed her parents, you know, and even the whole revenge for the Ravager stuff is, that's just a reason to get Slate as a character in there. Yeah, and 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 it's and it's and it's almost the reluctance that he takes the contract. You know, he's upset at the death of his son, but it's not like you know, you killed my son, you bastards. Um, you know, it's not. He's not a Nigo Montoya. You know, he's he's he, he takes it very coldly as a businessman. So we don't get enough motivation for her other than she's crazy. And I think you're right. It's in fact, I said you know, like it's such a loaded word that. I think it's used to dismiss her. Well, this, in this context, or, it, 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 it can be rendered, and again, this, this will this might bleed into the discussion. Mm-hmm. But I think in this context, when you understand that you know she's she's a freaking kid, uh, I think she's mm-hmm. meant to be younger than Gar. Like it's kind of misogynistic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, she's she's objectively murderous, and she's objectively bad because she's you know she's like committing. I don't know. Has she killed anybody? Have you seen? At this point, like, like, like on panel? no, I, and, and um, there's a in in fifty five when he sits down with Gar, he tells her that she killed, she took on a contract that he had. That's how he met her. She took on a contract that he had turned down, and she did kill somebody. But if you never read that issue, she never does kill anybody. To from what I understand, in this any of the stories. Unless it's like a henchman or somebody, somebody, somebody at random. But there's no, we don't have a Tara committing a murder scene, right? In in the in the in the title. But I, I think it's just the refrain of, like like 
the very reasonable question: Why is she doing this? And there's and it's like there is no reason. She's as evil and evil and or crazy. Let's say crazy, but she's also pure evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah. And the, the the fact that she, the character, belongs in, in a vulnerable demographic of teenage young teenage girl. She also has you know mm-hmm. like, like there's this whole thing with her family, that whole royal thing. She you know she has power. She's she's far more powerful than she knows what to do with. And that that there can be like you know a puberty kind of like you know analogy with that. It, it, it feels yeah. um, uh, less attentive towards the uh, towards a me- towards metaphors than it should be. Yeah, they developed her pretty well as a villain, but did not develop her well enough as a character. And I'm making that distinction in that in that we we saw a very well scripted villainous. Um, and but but she as far as, as like you know, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, she was written really, really, really well. But when we get down to the motivation for why, aside from being a hired hand, you know, um, why, you know, like, so she has grown to hate. Has she grown to hate the Titans? Like, I guess it was you grown, know, grown I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, like, so it's been, it's been one of those things. Like, so if she came on where she was just a hired hand, and she's, she's essentially another mercenary that was hired. And over this time of all this, this six months to a year or two that she fights with them, um, you know, over time, I can see where it becomes this sort of she really grows to hate them and everything they stand for, you know. But again, and I think that a little bit is that in there, but it's not developed enough. And the honestly, the only part where I say where I say the whole description of her as being insane or having gone insane is probably works the best is in those very final moments where she does clearly snap, you know, and and the the scene of her death is it's almost like it's a super powered representation of being so angry that you're having like you're watching yourself be angry at somebody, you know, like that level of anger. So, so there's, so I can say like, you know, that in that moment she is kind of gone. I can accept that use of, of the word, but yeah, when we're getting at it, you're like, she, she is a very, Raven's explaining um, her quote unquote. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and, and even like I said, the Titans, the Titans don't want to accept what, if they played any role in this or anything, they don't necessarily want to do the self-examination that's required because they bury her as a hero and they don't tell Brian. Now I, th- I believe he finds well, out. Later but, on. I, I mean, so I was, re- I have a, the uh, Batman, the outsiders trade and it's mm-hmm. so funny because like, um, so in this issue, Nightwing said, he said she died in battle. Yes. Fighting the, fighting the Terminator and, and Hive. She died a hero. And then, like, the next following issue of Outsiders, Brianna's like, ever since Batman told me that my sister was a traitor and tried to kill the Titans. And, like, again, like, like, like you mentioned Bertone, like, you know, we joked that, like, on the ride home from the funeral, they, they were in the driveway in McDonald's and Batman just let it slip that she was evil and just, like, absentmindedly. <laughs> it's like, why would you tell him that? Because, because Bruce is still Bruce Bruce is now going to do the passive aggressive thing where he undermines Dick. You know, oh yeah, they had that big handshake at the the Titans Outsiders meeting, but now you know what? I'm I'm still pissed that you left me, so I'm not going to just quietly undermine you and be p- passive aggressive. Also, also Brian, which is the reason why the, the Outsiders leave him because he didn't tell Brian about the shit going down in like Markovia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoops. 
Batman is not a good team leader. Let's just say, let's just leave it. Batman's the worst <laughs> character that ever happened. Um, but like, uh, uh, yeah. Um, what, what point were we on? Uh, with we were the 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 vulnerability. We're we're get we're gonna get work. I think this is a good segue into. Um, the biggest discussion that we were going to be having. Hey, so it's Tom breaking in here to repeat what I said at the beginning of the episode. Uh, this is the point where Don and I are really going to get into the discussion about the relationship between Tara and Slade, and the subject matter is going to get pretty serious into those issues about sexual assault and the exploitation of minors. I wanted this to serve as a content warning for you. Which is about her sexual relationship and i'm i'm using this in a very general sense we're going to get into this we're going to get into the fact that this was he essentially rapes her um and uh in i went to address and and ask wolf and perez was there any discussion about this and they were like no not really (laughs) well yes we're gonna get it we're gonna get into that And, and and it's been recently brought up in in um a book that DC's been publishing for the last, uh, I think, six months or so. Um, it, there's three books out. It's called The Other History of the DC Universe, written by John Ridley, uh, art by um, Giuseppe Camancoli, yeah. um, and uh, and Andrea um, Cucci. Um, it, it is, and, and we were saying before we, we went on the air here, um, in the 30 years I've been reading DC, this is one of the best things I've ever written. Uh, written, I wish. Amazing. Read right off the stands. It is so amazing. The first issue was Black Lightning. Um, the second issue from the point of view of Mal and Karen, uh, Harold, and, or whatever. God, Mal had so many different secret identities when he was a Teen Titan. Um, and Karen, the Bumblebee, who I've always loved her costume, by the way. Um, and... Uh, and then this one is from the point of view of Katana, who was a member of Batman and the Outsiders. And they, they are they're essentially telling the history of the DC universe, uh, at least on Earth. I don't know if they'll get to any if he'll get to anything involving an alien, because he's mostly stayed on Earth, right? Um and uh over the decades, and this decade covers uh, the eighties and the nineties, and we have a two or three pages in the middle of the book where she gets into her time with the outsiders and then he mentions that um you know, Geoforce had a half sister named Tara, and uh, and he says, uh, or she says, sorry, history would record Tara as a traitor who sided with Slade Wilson Deathstroke in plotting the Titans' demise. Tara was quote crazy. The meme went. Tara was quote psychotic. And when Tara died by her own hands, Tara quote got what she deserved. History is a convenient way of blaming the victim. Come with fans. Slade Wilson. Yeah, well, that's yeah. I'm gonna get into that as well. So I'm gonna re- I am gonna read this word for word because it's. Yes. I think it's very very well written, yeah. and I think I think to 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 get into our discussion, I think it, it, it's not very long. So Slade Wilson raped Tara Markov, not with physical force. He coerced an underage, mentally unstable girl into having sexual relations with him again and again and again, and Slade used that sexual dominance to manipulate Tara. Basically, Tara was trafficked. Slade was known as the Slade, sorry, Slade was a known villain, but there was a legion of, quote, respectable men, giants of business and politics and media who were in with horrific regularity using their positions of influence to drag women into the shadows of society and do to them what Slade had done to Tara. For many years, Breon 
would have to deal with his half-sister being remembered as a duplicitous sociopath. That was made all the more painful as Deathstroke developed a cult following for being a badass, quote, and quote, man's man. But rarely was he called out for being what he was, a pedophiliac rapist. Tara deserved more than what she got, and she deserved what to be remembered as being better than the nature to which she succumbed. But history is written by the living, not by the dead. We should also mention that the the artwork in this is like mm -hmm. extremely. There's a lot of fidelity to the George Perez because like the 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 panel that reveals that she was sleeping with 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 Slade is actually redrawn. Like it it it, uh, it's almost and this is this is actually like like um. It's interesting how this frames the issue because Tara looks like she was. You better put a continent warning for this episode. <laughs> well, like, well, I will. I will. I'll, I'll put it. Yeah, the she beginning. looks like she was assaulted, like 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 non coercively coercively assaulted by by Slade with the same like 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 shoes and papers in the same panel from the original, and mm-hmm. that frames the issue far more stark and direct than the original story. Did, even though the, the the content is still framed by Katana as what it was in the original comic, just just more plainly said. Yeah, because because in the original comic comic she's um, let me find it. She is uh, sitting in a chair. She's sitting in the exact same chair. It's looks like a giant beanbag chair. Legs crossed, cigarette in her mouth, looking up at him talking um in this sort of i can hear the long island accent um <laughs> you know and 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 stuff and then she's just kind of monologuing um you know talking to him and, and kind of debriefing him and in this same chair same robe cigarette bracelets like you're right fidelity to the um to everything the only difference is that the hair doesn't look as mushroomy but who cares but the look on her face is like she's got her she's got the cigarette in her right hand her left hand is over her sitting on her lap it's almost as if she's holding her stomach um in a way that suggests pain and nausea extreme regret um, extreme regret and uh, it is tonally completely different than the character that we see in the Judas contract um, I was now. I did not go too far down this the rabbit hole of comments and Twitter and and all these responses because I can't. I, I have I have a tolerance of before I start to like my anxiety kicks in and I'm like I really can't read more comments. But I did read some of the things of um, especially a number of people where it was posted where these were posted on various um, like fan facebook groups and stuff that's not what the author originally said was like something we saw and i'm just like yeah well really this is, this is uh, you know uh, duh because like uh, a lot of people who I, to, like, my posting of this were like yeah that's what it was i saw a lot of that too and i was glad to see that because um this is um just for for i, I did fact check one thing, I was not going to look up what the definition of pedophilia is if there's a specific age, because I don't want to Google that shit. But I did. If this takes place in New York, it is she is technically underage. Some some states have age consent of 16, but but New York's is 17, and it was 17. She was 15 so years yes, old. Just just for the she she was 15 years old when she started. She's 16 when she died. So yes, it is just from the from the whole standpoint of and even in an interview in the Titans Companion. 
Paris does say this is sta- does say it's statutory rape, but the problem is um, with this they don't is, seem to care. <laughs> Well, they don't seem to care because because they they just it was layer it was them they were like well we need something else to convince the readers that she's that she's really a bad guy so let's have her sleep with Slade and it's like and I'm sitting there reading this again because after I first I, I I did reread the scene after I read the the other history scene and then I reread the whole story this is mild compared to like how awful this is. But one mild thing I have, and it's a criticism of the story. You could have the conversation they have take place. And she's just in his lair in her costume. And I don't think you'd really have to change much of the dialogue. You know, she's debriefing him on like how the mission went. She's saying, I, this is, you know, your, your tech works really well. You know, I can't stand them. You're getting some of the development character development of like, God, I can't stand these people. How long are you going to make me do this? Um, having her, having having that, is not necessary, and that makes it even more disgusting. You know that he's he is, you know you're right. He he, how how and and how how you can get away with glorifying. Right. I don't think glorifying, justifying how you can justify a story, you know, a, a, a story beat where he is, you know, committing. He's having sex with a child. Rape of an. Yeah, he's having sex with a child. You know, with 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 a with a with a with a, with a teenager, and you know, and and um. And I, I was trying. I was trying to think of like you know, so it didn't register with them back in 1984, and I was trying to think about that, and I'm like. Why wouldn't it have? But then it. Yeah, no, that's the question. That's the I don't question. think. I don't think. But that the thing is, like, I. I think one of the problems we have a problem in our popular culture with the Lolita trope, and the whole thing around what's commonly referred to as jailbait, and it was such part of just the I don't want to say the norm I'm trying to figure out the way to phrase it so because you know I'm just trying to like I, and I'm not even agreeing with it I was trying to kind of explain it um, it never registered with me when I was 14 years old I was going to ask like, like, like was, genuinely when you when yeah. you, what was your reaction to this? no it just it, I don't I don't think I don't remember I don't remember thinking anything either way other than that like she's bad she's bad yeah you know I didn't think it was sexy Lord, no. Um, I mean, come on. <laughs> no, Donna, Donna, Troy, and Corey. Yeah, Anderson yeah, yeah. Because they look um, like adult book. women. Yeah, yeah. And they, well, they, and they essentially were. They were like 19, 20, you know. Um, for a 14-year-old, they were... <laughs> um, see, this, this wasn't sexy, but it was also like, I, it didn't... I, I knew it was, it was gross and it was bad and everything, but it didn't it did not register to me as that, like, this is rape, you know, in that regard. And then... I wrote in my notes, I wrote Amy Fisher. And then the reason, do you know who Amy Fisher is? I don't think, I, I might, but remind me. Amy Fisher is, had the nickname of the Long Island Lolita. And, um, and, and I remember this vividly because this is right around where I grew up. And it happened about a couple of years after I first read this story. That was 1992. Um, Amy Fisher was uh, 16 years old. And um, she was a sophomore in high school. Started having an affair with a th- guy named Joey Buttafuoco, who was uh, an auto mechanic 
ran an auto shop and um I uh, was since like in his 30s or maybe early 40s or whatever at that point I think he was in his mid 30s um she the affair came out when she and a and the motivation was jealousy or what shot his wife Mary wow. Jo and this thing became the tabloid story of like late 92, early 93. Three television movies about it aired on the same weekend. One starring Drew Barrymore as Amy Fisher, one starring Alyssa Milano as Amy Fisher, and another starring some unknown. And it was wait, all wait, like, wait, wait. you know. Three separate he, stories the same week? ABC, NBC, and CBS aired competing Amy Fisher movies. Oh, yeah, this thing was like. Yeah, this is pre. This is this is a couple of years before OJ, but this is like this was the scandal of the year, and they nicknamed her the Long Island Lolita because it wasn't that you know the, there was an innocent victim in this, and that his wife was shot. She was not killed. She um she her she was partially paralyzed in her face, um, and you had this disgusting pig of a guy, but because she had shot. Mary Jo, and because she was seen to have seduced Joey, the guy, she was, you know, the the word Lolita got thrown around, so it was this idea of... Girl gone bad. Girl gone bad. She's the the, the girl gone bad. She's a slut. You know, I pardon my use of the word. And, And so I think that's in a sense a little bit that's one of the reasons it never registers with a lot of people back back in the 80s and 90s because that type of character that trope or even in the real world that was happening so they will look at they don't necessarily might not have looked at Tara as a victim because you know in that sort of she did this to herself look she was you know she was totally coming on to him etc um and and I I don't pretend to think that in 2021 we are completely enlightened <laughs> where we can't be misogynistic about things and, and stuff, but we certainly have a better perspective on the dynamics of power between older men and younger women of, of, of age of consent and of not, you know, I, I will bring up Monica Lewinsky as well, who also got the, the slut shame, the, 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 the things said about her and stuff like that. So you have a culture through the eighties and nineties of blaming the, woman or the girl in this case tara in this case amy fisher the girl involved now amy fisher did shoot somebody <laughs> so she's not completely innocent and that's the other thing tara markov isn't 100 percent innocent here but she's also not 100 percent evil so there's yeah. a again you know so she's not completely a victim but she's not completely a total villain Right. Yeah. This, this is this is what it's about. Like, um, now for one thing, yeah. When I was younger, I read this as like, okay, well, this is you know, the smoking and just like you know, women having sex. Ooh, it's, it's lascivious, whatever. But was, yeah, she's yeah, a bad yeah, girl. Yeah. And because, especially because she was being, you know, shipped essentially with Gar, right? He was like, you know, basically the, the innocent young kid brother of the Titans. So she kind of mm-hmm. has a kind of innocent sheen on her by association, even though she's like you know kind of punking around and smarmy and stuff. Oh, you know she's she's you know got a good heart eventually, and she's been a hero for a while. Um, yeah. But I mean, like first of all, Deathstroke Slade Wilson is like gray haired. I mean, he's got to be at least in his like mid forties. 
And like, he's 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 he, older he, than most supervillains, it seems like. He has two grown sons. He is easily middle aged. Yeah, so that's 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 one thing. And Ad- Adelaine, you know, she's illustrated to be attractive, but she's also clearly not. You know, she she seems older. I mean, they have Perez shows her how she was younger as a younger adult. Mm-hmm. So there's this understanding that it's not just you know she's sleeping with a bad guy. She's sleeping with somebody who's like who has who could be her older father, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say grandfather, but like older father. So like yeah. the 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 age distinction in of itself is exacerbated i think uh coupled with the fact that like i just don't know why like the titans like because she's i mean you're right that like you know the dialogue isn't as explicit with it until the last chapter where she's very like, i mean the, the line is that you know like like oh i captured dicky for you if you have the stamina you can make it up for me later and that's and the, if, if i were the titans yeah. i heard that i've been like wait what like, 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 Deathstroke, like, for real, though? Like, like, I would have been, like, if, if I was in that proximity, I would, like, need to have a conversation about that. Um, because, you know, whether she's betrayed them or not, that is, like, that is a level of, that, 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 that is a level of depravity that, like, they need to react to. Um, and so, yeah. Honestly, and I've tried, I tried to find the article that peeped me to this. I thought it was on Women Write About Comics. I think it still might be, but I just I couldn't find it today. I tried to, but the, it was mm-hmm. it was basically it was a woman. It was a woman who pointed out, you know what? Like this is a young teenage girl who was seduced because yeah, I mean I, because I think that like her attraction to slaves is legitimate. You know, we 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 just waxed his car for a while, right? Like 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 yeah. like, like before you know, taking taking the. Taking the statutory rape out of it, <laughs> Slade, can, Slade might be cool, you know, if, as a fictional character. So it's not like outrageous that she would find, you know, him attractive. Um, and there's also a lot to him, who somebody who's less powerful as she is, and the plot that he has against the Titans. To you know, it makes sense. It's not like it. Like I think that you said that. Like it's. I think you may have mentioned that it's, it's kind of a random detail, but I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, the. <sighs> The the thing I was uh, the it was the if you took out the whole they actually if you took out the whole he actually slept with her part I think you could still have the attraction that she has to him um it would seem creepy but like it would it would keep him but then it also I think lets him off the hook a little too much. Well, I know like in the movie they had it to where she was like coming on to him and she was like in her dress and makeup and it was implied that it was kind of this this unrequited crush that she had on him, which is their kind mm-hmm. of way of having yeah, cake yeah. and eat too, I suppose. Which I, yeah, then that yeah. I'm not really sure how I feel about that because like it at least <sighs> gets that the, the taste of you know like you can you, you can you can try to like I mean I don't know does does that like erase what he did in the comic or does or is, does that make it better I I don't I have no idea what to think about that. Yeah, I know. It's it's like um, I I because I totally understand what you're saying. Where she is, where it makes sense that she would be enamored of him, you know, because hypothetically, let's just let's make let's make her Danny Chase for a moment, mm-hmm. all right? And let let's make Danny Chase is is the one who's the mole, and and he's the little punk and he becomes gar's best friend but gar wants a buddy like a brother you know and 
you could still have him like being kind of mooning over Deathstroke because Deathstroke's the big badass assassin who like I want when I grow up I want to be like him like you know the sort of so so there there is that aspect to it that I think you're right in saying that the way Tara was attracted to him in that regard too like you know the idea that the guy has a very impressive resume you know so you were admiring him on that level and then she is you know um, and, and then there's that too so um and I'm not exactly sure where I'm going with that just to say that like your point about why it makes logical sense that she is that she has some sort of attracted attraction to him. I will, you know, I think this works. is kind of where I come down to. Yeah. On the one hand, I personally don't mind the story how it plays out like this. I, mm-hmm. you know, it is terrible, and like it's and it's also yes. surprising that he does this because you know, yes, Terror Terror is. You know, if we're, if we're regarding her as a person, even though she's like 15, 16 years old, eh, she sucks. She's 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 pretty pretty bad. <laughs> Deliriously entertaining, and I think a great character. But like objectively speaking, she should probably be arrested. But on the but 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 <laughs> yeah. but, but, but that whole but the extent of her crimes, as you know, in coordination with with Deathstroke's plans, it isn't all her fault at the same time. So the the blame mm-hmm. of the seduction and the extent to and honestly, like you know, like. Her, her her questionable level of sanity is probably also his fault but I, I I still think that like I personally and this is a definitely a discussion we can have I don't not, I don't find this beyond the pale I don't I don't categorize this in the killing joke identity crisis you know they shouldn't have done that kind of conversation about mm-hmm. you know violence against women or what have no granted I'm a, I'm a cis head guy so yeah, yeah, me too. As far as concerned, but I, I think that like, there's a, there's a fine logic to utilize it. My, my lifelong question with this story is, why hasn't anybody brought it up? The fact that that happened, like that's the thing. Body. Yeah, like, and, whether it's in the real and, world and, or the Titans themselves. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, and that's where that's where I think. So I'm listening to you. I'm like, I'm nodding along. I'm nodding along because I was what I was trying to do is I was trying to. China, I was trying to steer this conversation of like, you know, just can we, we talk about this with, yeah, or can we talk about this in a way that like, um, you know, just with some nuance and, but I didn't want us to fall in this, make it sound like we were defending the, the Deathstroke's actions there because we're not. It's just that it gets, it gets shoved away. You know, like I said, he does not appear for four and a half more, about four more years in the book. Um, you know, Tara is mentioned a couple of times in the context of um, the pain that this has caused Gar. Man right? Pain. Man pain, yeah. You know, well, you know and, 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 you know, and, 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 you know, and, but they, they go on their, all their adventures and things like that. So it's not. You know, it, and and the fact that this little detail, this detail, this scene, this moment is not something that really ever does get brought up. Even if I'm recalling Total Chaos correctly, which is where Deathstroke sees the second terror for the first time, My and baby. it's kind of like this. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> baby, come back. No, um, no, he's literally like he and Gara are seeing her. She's like bandaging up one of their 
wounds after a fight and she's like and, and guards later both like this is very weird and they kind of leave it at that so it's not you know it's not like hey i slept with the early version of you or something like that it's all you know yeah this this never um you know i stopped reading up to a point so i don't know if it ever came up you know again but if it came up i don't think it's addressed in the way that i think john really really is the first person to address it like you said when you tweeted it out and i was like Screw you for spoiling it for me, Don. Which is deserved. Not like you know what though, dude. It's not like I wasn't going to read the issue anyway. I've been you know like from the moment this thing was solicited as like pull list, pull list, pull list. Um, so uh, so I was just busting your chops about that. But um, this is the first time I remember this in a DC published book, and that's what you had pointed out that this was addressed the way it was. You know that. Um, and, and, and the, the, the comment, the commentary here, like you said, um, as I was reading it off, like one question, and I don't know if this is a criticism or not. I did have a question. Is he using, I don't know Katana's voice very well. Is this Ridley speaking through Katana or is this Katana herself speaking? And like you mentioned that, like, you know, is they're criticizing the fans. The paragraph here, a known villain, there was a legion of respectable men, giants of business and politics and media who were horrific regularity using their positions of influence to drag women into the shadows of society and due to them what Slate had done to Tara. Um, you know, there's like he doesn't say Jeffrey Epstein, but uh, you know, like, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I'm seeing in here. And I think it's a, I think it's a deftly written commentary mm-hmm. on the way we have, see this, you know, um, and, and, and it's definitely written commentary on what men in power do. And, um, and, and, and him possibly, or and from, <laughs> Not that I didn't know this was wrong, and I haven't, as I became, as I have become an adult in a position where I do work with a lot of people who are of this age. Um, don't you know? I, I totally understand, like you know, how awful this is. People I know have been, you know, I, I, there are people I have worked with who have been fired, not for going this far, but for you know, um, for for indiscretions and things like that, and it's disgusting. It's also it's also you know, like, it's like very believable, and that I think the perniciousness yeah. of that makes or should warrant the reaction. I don't know. This is, it's kind of like like problem I had with like like some like even today like some discourse on superhero things. People react on things that like could be conceivably quote unquote problematic, but like to me, if it's not realistic, then shut up. Like 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 you're you're getting yeah. bothered by nothing. But this is not. You can see, you know, this happens with the teachers and, and, and students. This happens in the mm-hmm. workforce. This is this is an, a a deadly realistic this, situation. This is there are this is you know for as many as I you know I joke about TV movies and things about Amy Fisher. There are so many that are the family friend, the you know, and um, and the 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 fact that she's not, and I think it's important too that like I mentioned Amy Fisher and I mentioned the whole you know bad girl and all that it, it was a it, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a motif and that there were there there were movies there were characters like that in movies um there was this really especially in the early 2000s um this odd subculture of like really perverted men kind of like 
digging on just over the age girls like you know like somebody like a Lindsay Lohan and you know and and Britney like oh, the yeah. teen, there, like all the teen, the teen like, pop you know, princesses until their 18th birthday yeah yeah and that sort of stuff and so there, there was that you know the it, I think this is a response to a little bit of that it's a response to like you know think about the way we have we have made um especially you know teenage girls who were who are stars whether they be actors or whatever or singers or whatever have we have we have over sexualized them and we did that for many generations especially the most recent couple of generations but also think of the way that we when the when those girls and i'm and i'm using the word girl to speak of somebody who is under that age of consent you know when those young women those girls do get caught up in an action like this and they are caught in the past we have we have shamed them you know we've we've done the victim blaming and you know and i think of and and i think of it's like i was just trying to think of you know the, the the word rape is used in this in this story in a way that was never used in this context mm-hmm. before in publication no way was it in publication. Used. I mean, I mean, the, in publication because like the problem was all, and that, that I'm convention about is that like this was never perceived as a problem to respond to let alone explicitly yes. saying when it was yeah and and but i also i'm also trying to think back of like you know okay so like what did what was my context for like i didn't know what statutory rape was until the ab fisher dory butafuco thing and and that is is defined just it is sex between an overage and an underage person and it could be consensual but it is still illegal because of the the age of the people and the penalty that is carried often depends on the ages the nature of the relationship. Um, sometimes, what gender each participant is, there's a, there's a lot because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know if you think of people like Mary Kay Letourneau and things like that. But we've you know we've also but so but the idea like so when you hear the word rape, very often I think a lot of people's and, and I know this is semantics, but just bear with me. A lot of people's minds first snap to the very forcible, very brutal kind. But he even says. Not with physical force. He conv- he he groomed her essentially, which is something that we saw a little bit here and there of in popular culture through the '80s, but not to the extent that we're so well versed in it and we know quite a bit about it. You know, some of the terms he's using are things that I don't think in 1984 your average comics reader would have been very familiar with. Yeah, I feel that like um, this came out back in the day. I don't know who would react to this, real talk, mm-hmm. because because again, and this is an, you know another thing I know about the Titans fandom is that like it had a large female following. Did, it did. What were what were what were female fans' reactions to Terra? Just just in general. I don't know. I was trying to find um, some of the letters. A lot of the letters that I found were written by men. Um, they wouldn't re- they wouldn't print the complaints. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the thing. They 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 had a lot of people. Um, this one guy got like five letters printed, and I even said in my document, he the guy was on a journey. Um, <laughs> uh, there was one by a woman. Um, Nothing could compete with Tara bringing down the house and herself as in a chilling scene as I have ever seen in comics. I think it was the garbing, garbling in human sounds that got to me. Tara may be peacefully in the ground, but the ramifications of betrayal sh- should affect the Titans for months. You know, so, and she just talks about how this is going to affect Gar Logan. Um, and they they do point out that they got a lot of letters saying she's going to come back, right? 
and they were saying, no, she's gone. Thank you for your comments, et cetera. So I don't think, again, I, I, I'm, and there were, what was I was getting frustrated by where there were a number of issues where there was no letter column, but. Oh, come on. It's just that that was, that was what these things were back in the day. So, and, and I, I tried to do a little digging to see if I could find like an old fanzine or something online that would have had something contemporary to it, but I didn't, I didn't. I do remember you tweeting out that, um, article you were just talking about written by a woman and i don't remember where it was and it was a f- it was a few months ago and it's probably buried somewhere in my in my likes and and retweets as well yeah it was the first so. time that I, I i put to perspective like yeah. i always thought it was weird that that nobody reacted to like you know tara's you know affair with, with destro but I, at the same time i never thought on my own you know that she doesn't deserve she she needs help more than anything else. I mean, yeah. yes, she did do heinous crimes, but I mean, I said that she should probably be arrested. She she needs like, like Leslie Tompkins or somebody. She needs to talk to a therapist. Um, and yeah, I just I, I just feel that that would be a far more interesting thing. No, I mean, I mean, I think that I think what I think what this is is that in the eighties, and this and this can be traced back to like the teen comedies at the time. Mm-hmm. Like like sixteen year old girls were seen as like just sexual game, right? That that's that's that has to be yes. what it is. Even if she's clearly illustrated to be like a kid, like a realistic looking sixteen year old, that that's like, oh well, that's that's generally the age consent, and like that's that's how it is. Now we understand that like you know the the psycholo- psychological maturation of kids is at a different pace, and society is different. So we understand. I mean. Not that not that that she would have been different back then, but perception were, were were different. So we understand that now. But at the same time, I mean, she's going to school and stuff. Like, I mean, like there, I I would say regardless, like I don't understand, especially like 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 Donna and Corey, knowing. But but I'm not even sure that they know about that. Like I don't, I don't know because like I know Gar later on has to ask Slate, "Did you have sex with Tara?" And he's like, "Would it really matter?" And he shrugs like, ah, "I guess not," which is strikes strikes. That's. That again, like I can appreciate what Wolfman was doing with that issue because you needed a sit down and talk issue in some regard. That just like totally missed the point, you know. Like I don't get, the, I don't get the impression that, that they angry. have any idea what they were doing with this. I had, I got that impression as well. I don't think, I th- and I think you're the way you described it with teen movies and. um you know, your 16-year-old uh, teenage girl being, you know, game, especially because this is the era of, you know, yeah, 16 Candles out like the year before, but um, this is the era of the screwball sex comedy, you know, your porkies and and those sorts of movies, which were obviously the actors, the actresses were obviously, you know, over 18, but they're playing high school girls. So you're right, the sexualization of, of teenagers and, and, and it being this sort of, it was very, very normalized at the time, which is why you didn't really get. I, this is, I think, we didn't get much of an examination or even um, a reaction. If they didn't have a reaction, they didn't really run it um, in there. But we've really come to see in the past now, forty, almost forty years, thirty-six years. Am I doing my math? This also goes in, in, anyway, in line with, years. um, you know, uh, the sexuality of like the ties themselves. 
uh, not not just mm-hmm. how they're like you know just like physically idealized, but you know, like, like Robin and Starfire have been sleeping together. I don't know if there are any bedroom scenes between Donna and Terry Long. I know that like Terry Long is despised legendarily. Um, I know. I remember uh, like like some of Wally's nightmares sequences in Terror Trigon is like you know uh, him having yeah. sex with Raven and stuff. So Raven. like Raven, uh, which which is later on, but beyond this, but but like I mean. The, the, again, as, as we say, they were clearly not only of age, but but depicted less as kids and more like young young adults. So if I'm if I'm doing this off the top of my head, um, there is a scene early on, like maybe around issue thirty ish or so of New Teen Titans, where um, it's clear that Dick and Corey have slept together. But you know, he's out like on their balcony and like yeah. his pajamas with no shirt on or whatever so it's implied kind of in the same way it's implied in this scene you know um the only time i ever remember anything about donna and terry sleeping together um, at least in the original yeah they're they're honey like the on the the uh, at the very end of the wedding issue terry long and donna troy during the mile high club um <laughs> she walks into the cabin she's wearing this like amazon short skirt with the thing it's like total like you know i'm dressing up for you but it's like but again that can get passed off as that they are two married adults you know yeah they're not i do know that no they're not Tara. but that's the other thing she's now she's 19 and he was i think he was about 28 29 there's about 10 years difference and it's still choosing like he's like 50 you know he just because he's he's because he's um he's got like he looks like if he wasn't teaching um, college, he'd be like leading a soft rock band or something in 1979. But you know, it's the beard and the and the fro and divorced, all that. But a divorced father, like 29 years old, give me a break. Well, his daughter is young though. His daughter's like five or six. So if he got married like right out of college, mm-hmm. and had you know, I had a friend who had a kid at. Um, who had a kid in his early twenties right. and they had, he had, they had married young. So it's, it's very, the math adds up there that they got married young. They had a kid young. He was way too immature. And the thing about Marsha's, his ex-wife is like, you know, basically implies that he was way too immature and he probably fucked around and, and like, and she was just like, I'm, I'm done with this because she's way more mature than well, he was. My thing is that like, um, why, I mean, like he's portrayed yeah. as like, he's like an older statesman and that's wrong. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know he's. Although you know, um, but I know the one scene and it's issue one or two of the Baxter series where Dick and Corey are in bed together. Now they're both wearing like pajamas. Is that the Terry Tricon uh, part? Because I remember that. I know. Yes. I know historically that got like angry letters. That did, yes, yeah. So that got. I haven't read any of them, but I know that got some. That's got some negative responses. <laughs> I mean, you could ask. I think you could ask Josh about issue 39 of the Baxter series, which is the all new to all. But that's several, that's a few yeah, years down the, the road, but yeah, it's, but the same, yeah, but the, the sexuality uh, that, that is depicted um, of both the, the women and the men, um, especially through the drawings of, of Perez, um, to his credit, as sexy as he made Starfire, he also made a point, and and so did Wolfman, of making her very powerful. 
um, and have a lot of agency, and that she she didn't get turned into a bimbo until the new Fifty Two. Oh, no, yeah, no, Perez is one of the greatest. Yeah, so like because like yeah, men yeah, and so women like, were both sexualized, and to, to, I, I feel that like equal equal efficacy, like like you can you can you can ogle Starfire and Donna Troy, but like I mean Dick Grayson's like you know his 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 female fandom starts here, right? Or maybe mm-hmm. even Burt Ward, but like it was definitely defined here. Yeah, the 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 current day Nightwing Nightwing butt fandom is uh is is through here especially with short pants robin and you know and you've got um you know the the musculature of the guys and everything it is it is a very but again it's this is way more disgusting than that well, this is this is like i mean like it, we oh, were, this is so yeah, we're relating it but like you know so we're like inviting the idea that like well there's a theme of sexuality in this in this title mm-hmm. that does not excuse what happens to tara in this. yeah that's the thing it's like we're not trying to defend what happens to tara here we're just trying to i think we're trying to contextualize it we're trying to we're trying to put ourselves back in 1984 because we don't want to come at this with a 2021 lens of thinking ourselves superior to Marvel Wolfman of 40 years ago in that way. That's a trap that people tend to fall into. That's all I'm saying is like, we're trying not to fall into that trap in, in discussing. I mean, I, I have, I invoked other stories, other controversial DC mm-hmm. stories, other stories that involve sexual violence. Do you connect? Yeah. Do you relate this to your identity crisis, your uh, killing jokes, your um, insert terrible story here? I, li- I like those. Yeah, two and stories. I don't like, I can't stand the killing joke. Um, Identity Crisis has a few really good moments in it. The ones involving Sue Dibney are not them. Um, funny enough, there's actually a good Deathstroke moment in Identity Crisis. Yeah, he, he, gets, he gets his own back on uh, Wally again. Yeah, but, oh man. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. It's it's so. This is so. Because I'm, I'm st- as I'm as I'm as I'm trying to come up with a response. I'm staring at these pages from the other history of the DC universe here, and I'm just like. I th- I, th- I think even even ah. though like like uh, the text is is true, that redrawn p- image of terror is interesting. I I, I, mm-hmm. I. It's not. It doesn't gel with with the original character. But I think it puts a point across in a way it needs to be recognized. Like, like I, I, I think it's wrong to say that like Tara, you know, was like forced to get to work. But at the same time, we've never seen how how they met. Has that, I don't think it's ever been shown in any flashback story how she and Deathstroke first came across each other, right? He, um, in in that issue where he sits down with Gar, it's it's shown, but like, kind of like you know, it, it's just kind of summed up. Where it's like you know he was he he'd rejected a contract she she picked it up they met he decided to hire her and I think that was about it and the the detail that that he also mentions that it was like some um, leader of an African country who was friends with Gar so it just made it it just twisted the knife into him as well that she killed somebody who he had been close to without him even realizing it. But it's not. <laughs> she can't um, catch her break. She's always even. And I don't have the issue in front of me right now, so um, yeah. So he can't catch a break. So, but yeah, it's. But it's not. But he does not. The only. The only thing about the. We just see. The, did you sleep with her? Would that have mattered? That's the only time it's mentioned. What the fuck um, does he mean? Would that have mattered? I don't understand. Like, like what? Like, 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 that makes me mad. But it's also like, 
What is Slate thinking when he says would that have mattered? Because he's dead? I don't I, I, I don't know. Ooh, the damage is already such done. An outrageous thing I, to I say. Like, like, dude, you're fifty. It, yeah, it makes no. That that that's, I'm just like sitting there. I'm looking at like that makes no sense. I guess like, not. Like, like and, Marvel but clearly didn't think this was a problem. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. He didn't think it was a problem, and, and like I said, it, it just didn't register. And uh, Gar's thing of I guess not. He gives up. Yeah, it's exhaustion. It's giving up. It's just, it's defeat. But at the same time, that and it's not supposed to feel good. But at the same time, it's just it. it reading and, and and seeing it again just gets me. I'm getting it. Just again. Like, I mean, I mean, not ugh. not to play armchair writer, but I will with gusto. Mm-hmm. If I were to like, you know, adapt this, like, you know, I'm doing the Judas contract saga. It would be by mm-hmm. and large this, but. You bet your ass that like Dick Grayson and Donna Troy and and Victor Stone would be like and 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 Corey Ander would be like they did what and and that would be like that would be discussed for a long time because that's just not like DC Comics mm-hmm. had a scenario where their junior hero has again you know and yeah Tara was bad from the start sure but like a junior hero in their in their hero ranks. Was seduced by a villain, and the and, the, and there was like statutory rape. I mean, that's a, I don't know if that's ever happened yeah. in in comic books anywhere. That that is a very specific, particular circumstance that has to be that has to be redressed with with the realism that this book has always afforded in every other scenario. And the fact that it does it is what bothers me more so than the inclusion of it itself. But uh, again, I am not a woman, and this, this is a very this could be an incredibly triggering story for someone to, to understand. Yes, and I think what you're saying is exactly what Ridley is saying through what he's saying here is that like you know we we've asked the question or we've either asked the question or even mentioned it a, few, a number of times why this was never brought up again. You know, it was just it was not terror betrayed the Titans. Terror was a mole for the Terminator. The, the, him having sex with her at fifteen committing rape you know of a young woman um is never mentioned and he's like pointing this out to us and he's saying why have we not talked about this and we need to talk about this i will say though that okay and 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 i'm with you like i as a you know cis head man i i i cannot fully understand it i but i do understand that that's how this can be triggering you know and 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 i'm just like yeah, so uh, sorry. So make your point because I'm 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 starting to. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it's it's like uh, like I remember having this conversation with Stella. Like, like uh, I, I understand like especially with this is like a student student and stuff that like sexual assault in stories is a point that doesn't always as a, as a story element not only is it exploit it can be exploitative, it can be done for cheap shock value or whatever. It's it's often not necessary and it's often very upsetting towards you know. Women recipients of that story, um, and also men, men, mm-hmm. male recipients of the story. I, I, I get that, but like uh, on the, on another instance, like the threat of that, like um, like Stella was playing like uh, a game, Final Fantasy VII remake, and there's a moment where two of the the, the the female heroes are like you know cornered by a bunch of guys who were like, I mean, they're not being very explicit, but there is this sort of implicit threat of rape, like oh you know we're gonna have a fun time with you, and those guys get their ass kicked. And I remember playing that and like not thinking anything of it, but she, I remember she left like this like salty 
voicemail on my phone <laughs> saying threatening to drop this because that happened and i was like i i never thought that was ever a thing to be upset about so like there's a blind spot that i have where this kind of storytelling isn't just storytelling but it's like exploitative like you know abusive mm-hmm. storytelling I, th- I can if that's explained to me in that way i i can get it but like um i think it's doubly insulting to just pretend that like not only it's because it's meant to be like you know th- like, like this is why terror was bad because of this thing well if this thing is not that big of a deal then, then the character should react to it rather than just it being this sort of like you know invisible element of her of her nefarious character yeah and he mentions deathstroke's popularity especially through you know the subsequent decades you know starting in the 90s and moving on to where we have now where he is you know he is a as in in release a badass and a, a man's man you know the the idea that he is a i mean and and it's a you know the the you know to the point where one, in one speaking, breath, it's a cool character he's a, design he's, a, he's an enemy of batman in the movies and, and then and then five seconds later he's an ally of batman in the movies it's, it's like the idea is that like well we don't want to sully this character who did this raping thing mm-hmm. yeah 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 so yeah so, and I don't have much to add to what you had had said, but I wanted to just add that because it's just it makes it worse by sweeping it under the rug. We have you know we have an obligation as people who are fans of the character, would have been fans of the character for, for a long time that like you know this happened and we pretend that it we either pretend that it didn't. To my knowledge, I don't know how much it's been retconned or what, and that's why I didn't want to bring up all the retcons or anything like that, and I just wanted to keep it in the context of what Ridley says in the other history of the DC Universe and what Wolfman and Pryor have in the original Judas contract. Um, but, you know, even if it was retconned out of existence, whatever, like, you know, it's, you have to point this out. It's like, you know, the man raped a child. It's not, you know, this isn't badass. I'm sorry. Well, I think it's also, it's less seen as like, Slave's such a stud, he seduced Tara, and more that, like, Tara was so bad that she slept with a bad guy, Slade, mm-hmm. who is one of our favorite villains because he's awesome. It's like they're separated in yeah. a lot of people's – and mine included. I mean, when I was younger, I, 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 while I still had a problem with, like, the lack of re- reaction to it, I didn't I, – you know, I, I could read Slade's appearance and never think about this. And, and, I, and it, is, it is, like, mm-hmm. demarcated in the minds of fans between Slade as a character and this his actions in this story, and that's – I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much we are to blame for that. Like, like to what to what volume of extent we are to blame for that, and to what volume of extent DC is to blame for that. Uh, yeah, I think we I think we both share blame um, as fans and as a company because when he walks away in in issue fifty five and at the end of this, he's pathetic more than anything. To be completely honest with you, he does not get his just desserts. He does not get a comeuppance or stuff. And any consequences other than the fact that he is tired and he goes off to hunt wild game in Africa and he's just kind of a sad, pathetic old man. Um, not good enough in my mind, but at the same time, you know, that's where it is. And the, but his the rehab of his image starts in the '90s when he becomes the antihero, and part of that is DC. Because they saw what they had in terms of, well, they saw the Punisher, right, over at Marvel, because right around the, the the Punisher was getting bigger and bigger and bigger right around the time that Deathstroke started getting his series and stuff. So they saw that they had something that could be akin to the Punisher, you know, the the action hero. Um, but also the fans were the '90s were ripe for that, and for as much as we both enjoy 
90s comics, both the good and the bad and the really shitty, there are a, there is a lot of hypersexualization of women, of young women in those comics. You know, life hell, there are new mutants and things like that. You know. Oh yeah, the bad girl era, like Lady Death. And all like that kind of stuff. yeah, the the bad girl era, or people like Boomer and Wolf Spain and you know stuff like that. Like you know, everybody everybody who didn't have a, a C cup suddenly has a C cup. You know, just like things like that. So there's this. So so we are like you know every, everybody's complicit here. You know, it's and and that's not dismissive. It's just that like you know we we have to do a lot. We have to. Do more of the self-examination you and I are doing, where we're like, you know, when we were younger, what did we, what did we either play into, or what did we just ignore because it was convenient? It was convenient for us to ignore these things, you know. Yeah, we should probably ask like like our uh, our friends who are women who are comics fans, like what their reaction to this. Like, I, I mean, you got, you and Stella must have mm-hmm. gone into this when you did that commentary. Like, like to what extent did you? Do you remember? I don't know. It was it was a few years ago. I'd have to go back and listen to it. I don't know, and I probably did not have anything intelligent to say. Like I, I plan on asking, like you know, like I, I'm sure we talked about it before, but like because again, like I was at Dragon mm-hmm. Con. Oh no, she wasn't at Dragon Con with me. Um, uh, I can ask Nancy Northcott. I know she was in the audience, and like mm-hmm. Wolfen and Press, who signed my copy of Juju's contract. I was like. What I asked them was like, did the Titans ever find this out and whatever? And they're like, I think they said that they, they like they knew, but no one talks about it. And they clearly like didn't engage with the conversation with any sort of like ponderous seriousness. They're just like, oh yeah, well you know, it's just like, and again, that was just the, like, the eternal frustration of just like, come on. But we knew, but they don't talk about it. Is it's not right? It is realistic. Again, because it's kind of what they do in the first few issues, even if they, they, they just kind of brush her, they're doing their best to just move on from her death, so they don't really talk about it as much as they really should. So so that is because they don't want to confront it, because they don't want to understand the consequences of what they have wrought, maybe? I mean, well, it's not necessarily their fault, but at the same time, I feel that like they just kind of just ignore it. That's That's... that's then, then that becomes their fault because they're not, they're not you know exacting justice on somebody who was wrong mm-hmm. whether she knew it or not because obviously I don't think I don't think Tara from what from what I've read in this story and the, and then like you know any sort of sort of reference to it I don't think Tara was necessarily like you know reeling with shame sleeping with with Deathstroke she probably thought she was awesome she she clearly thinks she's like, she's like queen shit throughout this whole story yeah so like but at the same time she's a kid she doesn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be exact. Yeah. Like she can think like she can go around saying I'm I'm great, but like somebody needs to come into the room and, and like slate slowly because of that. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, our cult, our popular culture and our culture in general was not at a place where it would have in 1984 where this would have gotten the post storyline examination that it really needed to. And that Slade, you know, they tried to give Slade some consequences, but it didn't go as far as it needed to. In 2021, um, I think I think this is a start here. I'm curious as to see. Now, this is, of course, this is also a DC's black label, so it's not in the mainstream. It's like they're allowing him to say it because it's not going to affect their mainstream continuity. 
in a sense, although yeah, I don't even think I'm phrasing like these, that right. These, these other you know, like, books, like like are explicitly set in like the seventies and the sixties and the eighties and the nineties, like, and they don't yeah. really like do anything to like redress the characters aging throughout the time. They just say, oh yeah, in the eighties mm-hmm. this happened. In the 80s, like, they, there's historical events explicitly discussed in these stories, but that really doesn't let them, you know. It, it doesn't get to the point where, where, you, where you're stopping to question how old they are. They just discuss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the same way that, um, and you know, and, and it's and it's pulling, and he's he's rightfully and, and very well pulling from the original you know, inspiration for this, which was Wolfman and Paris doing the history of the DC universe, which was just like here are all the ages of heroes, and you know, which was a if you've I, you, I don't know if you've ever read it or not. I was I was assuming that you had, which was a it was a beautifully illustrated book of the same way. But this is just like you know, okay, these are all the heroes who don't have necessarily have a voice, you know. Um, Precisely, very much like. Yeah. Um, characters who first of all never own, never own their own title. I don't believe Katana ever had her own title. Black Lightning has, mm, but you know knowledge. people whose whose pers- characters POC characters whose perspectives would would look at things differently based on the the events, especially like Mal Duncan and Karen Beecher. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think this yeah, again this this series is, is the most brilliant thing they've done. It feels like it came out of like like, like the um, the melting pot of great stories from the eighties. It really does. Yeah, and it's not only that. Conceptually, not only is it great, it is it, it incredibly well written, you know, yeah. and well illustrated. Like you're right, that it's it's not just that. Oh, there's this really cool idea that we're doing a. It's not an alternate history either, and that's the other thing. It's, it's, it's not it's like the most the incontinuity that, book they've done as well. Like, like everything that they re- they've not yeah. changed anything. Yeah, it's it's very um, like if I'm thinking of American history books I've read. I'm thinking of like Howard Zinn or Ibram Kendi or like, you know, the, where, where you are seeing that these events happen. And, but here's this other perspective that you never get in your history book. And, and, you know, being a nerd for DC history, <laughs> you know, I'm a mark for this, but this has been so well done and, and so well. And, and the, like the continuity, you say, I don't really, I don't even think I notice it half the time. I'm just like, you know, I'm seeing what, like, like the way in the first issue, the black lightning describes Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, almost having like a shine to him and stuff like that. Like, I'm just like, that is a brilliant, just like the way it, the whole thing is written word for word is brilliant. And then the illustrations, again, having that faithfulness to the, um, to the original style and artwork, you know, not just Wolfman Perez, but that, Later in issue three, there is a um, illustration of the '90s era Outsiders that is like line for line a t- a lift from the Travis Cherist cover from Outsiders number one. So it's like they really are paying paying good attention and and really doing some great things. So I would really like highly recommend if if you can't find a copy of this, wait until it comes either grab it digitally or wait until it comes out in a you know it's going to get a hardcover in a trade. Oh yeah, and this series was um, great before this this Terra aside. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The Mal, the Mal Duncan issue. The fact that they did that pull of of Jericho, the original mm-hmm. Jericho, mm-hmm. who was supposed to be black, but the um, and funny enough, Marv Wolfman wrote the story. He was supposed to be revealed at the end as being black, but I think it was the editor, like Weisinger or whoever was editing, or maybe it was Julia Schwartz, whoever nixed that, and then the the issue plays out differently. Um. And Ridley put it in as how it was originally written, where I was like, I was, 
I saw that pull it. I was like, wow. I was, I was blown away because I was like, I, I don't know if anybody – I was like, did anybody really ever remember that? That's like a trivia bit. Yeah. I, I, that, I, like, I feel you that know, like you... – uh, and honestly, I, I would even owe the Terra um, aside to – he clearly was looking, reading some articles before he wrote this. I mean I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean maybe he always had these thoughts in his head, but and, and he's a major major fan. Yeah. But I also think that like there are – in, in 2021, there are – Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of comic articles that are like, did you ever notice this or have you read this issue that he could have like joined from? But he could have just done his research. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I want to say I, I'm I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because it's so well written that maybe even if he had mentioned seen those articles, he went he did the deep dive that he needed to. Um, partially because the stuff is very accessible. You know, the Judas contract is not obscure. Right, <laughs> you know, you can buy it off of Comic Solid. You don't have to. I don't have to hunt down a, a an original copy of of Teen Tales of the Teen Titans number annual number three to see the end of the story or, or issue thirty nine to see the scene that we've been discussing at length here. And we're gonna wrap up in a few minutes. Um, you can get all this really easily, and I think that's that. I think that works to his advantage too. That he can that he can do this, um, and that he doesn't have to. You know, that he doesn't have to go out of his way to do the research that he needs to do in order to put a book this good together. And, you know, for all we've said, we still both love this story. Mm-hmm. The Judas Contract. And I, I, I still, you know, love what it is. But I, and I, I don't think to, to steal to steal something from you, I don't think we have any answers to our questions here. <laughs> I, I feel like we've, we're leaving this open-ended um and and we, you know because we've we've been recording for about almost three hours here. So oh, have this, we really? This is gonna be a long one. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking at 2:46 here, and it's 11:30, and I'm so so I'm just like I'm like okay, wow, we're um we uh we've discussed this, and we keep kind of going around back to the same points. Um, and and I would I would recommend a going out and reading both stories and seeing what they are for yourselves, and then and then really before before you pass a judgment on either take the moment to think about what's being said, you know, in the other history and, 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 and the context of the Teen Titans story before you, before you say anything. In other words, think before you meme or think before you tweet. Um, but I would love to hear feedback on this. Um, and especially for, uh, I, you know, I honestly don't know who's listening to this, if they're guys, women, what have you, but, um, but I, w- I would, I would be open to more discussion on this. Um, and, and I appreciate you coming on to, to talk about this. I'm really, I was really, really enjoyed the discussion as, as, as serious as it got. Um, anything else you want to say is like a final point before we, before we close up here. I have one last question and this can kind of go, I don't, I don't think this would be a long, another three hour long answer or that, that, but mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, like like what's your opinion of the ter- the, the Terra character? Like honest, like you know, and like beyond, like you know, well she was a bad person, or she was like you know she made it for a good story. Like like as a character, like, like if she if she survived or whatever, or like you know just in terms of the stories that she was in, like what is your? I'm not expecting you to say that you know she was your favorite character or your favorite member of the Titans, but what is what are your thoughts on on Tara Markov? I I see I liked the character because I thought that like I said she was a well developed villain in that because she appeared in the book for the better part of like two years as opposed to this being just like she shows up in a movie by the end of the movie she's gone like you know this this really does help with the you know this really does work in the serialized storytelling of it um, yeah she's obnoxious 
Um, but I think that really, really works for her as a character. And I like the way she's written interacting with the Titans. And I like the way they wrote her as bratty in, in many ways. There are certain scenes in there where, like, she insults, like, Corey or somebody. Balloon um, bot. Says something smart. He called balloon bot. Or she says, oh, she's got brains, too. And they're like, uh, Tara, you know, this is not something we do. We're friends, you know. And yeah. and she's like, okay, sorry, don't kick me out. Like, little moments like that. I think, like, I think they had a really, really good handle on her as a as a character, as duplicitous as she was. And I do like the character because I think it's just a, um, and, and, and some of your points were right too. It's just like, you know, you, you do have to love some of the more obnoxious, you know, ob- obnoxious things about her too. Well, yeah, I think that like whenever I'm reading her and part of my, part of my, I mean, I like the Teen Titans cartoon, like the original 2003 Teen Titans cartoon, but part of my mm-hmm. dissatisfaction was that just because like, and sort of this like Watchmen movie still expect her kind of way. I just thought that they took the personality that just like stripped from her. Because yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's a, a plant and a spy and all that kind of stuff. But it's funny because the the kid the, the persona that she puts on still doesn't really like anybody. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, again, and I mentioned this before, the design of her is 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 like insane. Like like this like Kim this this like Kim Fields like like mushroom haircut. <laughs> Kim Fields haircut, but yes. teeth, you know, she looks younger than she actually even is. Like, and yeah. like with that, that that snipey attitude, I just think that she's like a like a very a very interesting like superhero character. And when I when I'm mm-hmm. reading her, no matter which I mean, I mean, I can see somebody getting annoyed at her, but like whether she's like you know yelling at Beast Boy or like rolling her eyes or making fun of like the team and their how how good they are, or even trying to be sincere. Or even trying to be evil, like, 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 like kind of doing the whole mustache twirling thing at the, at the end. It's like that, that her personality makes all those moments entertaining, and it might just be like Perez's illustration of her. I, I, I even kind of made a, a Twitter thread just on like the funniest images of her. But like, like I mean, it, it just goes down to like you know, <laughs> it's it's almost kind of stark. Where like you know, at the end of the, the last part, where Madonna's um, approaching Dick and he's like, he's like, call me Nightwing. She's like. Yeah, Tara's dead, Robin. And like, you cut to the funeral, and again, she has that ridiculous-looking head bust as a tombstone, and it's almost a final insult. But it, it, it just, it, to me, it's like the perfect final punctuation on, I think, one of the Titans' most most entertaining characters. Like, I mean, like, I know that there's a Terra mm-hmm. saga, but then you have Jericho, then later on Panther and Bill Dobby, all kind of stuff. But she was somebody that, like, I think if she went on too long, it really would have hurt readers feelings for her to be a, a traitor or a spy so she's probably, she's probably in the mm-hmm. book of the perfect length but she was just bursting with personality especially as you mentioned at the time the team was all in their feelings about various things and she was just like you know kind of like she wanted to be on the team but she also wouldn't fall into line personality wise and that made for an interesting you know sort of like 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 oil and water kind of thing so i I don't know. Yeah. It, it was it was one of the most entertaining alchemies of, of character in a team book I've ever seen. Yeah, and I I agree with every point you just made. I mean, this is an excellent excellent way to sum it up. Before you go, let everybody know where they can find you. Well, <laughs> you can <clears throat> find me on a show that's ostensibly not a comic show, although I mention Batman all the time. Um, Questions We Don't Have Answers. It's a podcast I do with my pal Harrison Chute, and 
we this is how I always describe it. We come from two disciplines. I'm a comic book guy. He is a science fiction guy, um, with a, with a, with a burgeoning interest in uh, Asian cinema, and so we often talk about social issues. We we spent much of the last four years talking about the Trump administration. Uh, mm-hmm. talk about, um, we talk about gender issues. We talk about like, like yeah. racial issues, uh, and we often we regularly have media examples to kind of spring our conversation off of. Uh, Recently, we've been doing some commentaries in the last year. Uh, in the last episode, we had a discussion on science fiction in general, and we uh, looked at a few examples ranging from anime to the Twilight Zone to Batman animated series to Futurama. Um, and it's just us in search of not only a good conversation but kind of bettering ourselves in terms of how we inter- interface with problems of the present which will become which we hope won't become problems in the future and as the title always says and much to Stella's chagrin we rarely have answers but every now and then we we kind of happen upon a proper solution for something um but you can find that at qnoanswers.com it's also on your your various podcatchers uh i also contribute content for both the batmanuniverse.net and dc infinite and my twitter handle is donodmg1 all right. Well, and thank you very much for coming on. This was a yeah, um, a great discussion. I really, really enjoyed this. And I'd like to thank Don for coming on. Go ahead and uh, check out his show, Questions We Don't Have Answers. It's really great. Uh, he and Harrison Shoot do a great job of talking about serious topics in the news and culture, and I highly recommend it. As for me, I'll be back next episode with my second part of this Titans twofer. And that is going to be the irredeemable Shag and I talking about the Uncanny X-Men New Teen Titans crossover from 1982. So until then, send me your feedback. And if you have specific feedback about the conversation I had uh, with Don, I will gladly pass it along to him so he can chime in when I read it on the air. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.